Tonight on the GCPC, we've got games. We're going to talk about so many games. All the games. Sleeping Dogs, Peace Walker, Darksiders 2, Risen 2, Card Combat, Papo and Yo, Way of the Samurai Forest, Spec Ops, 30 Flights of Loving, The Stanley Parable, Botanicula. So many games. All coming up next on the GameCritics.com podcast, which starts right now. <laughs> Welcome to GameCritics.com Podcast, episode 78. Well, for whoa, whoa, whoa. First, let me just say that the GameCritics.com Podcast did undergo surgery this week, and the bile duct has been removed. Mike Bracken is not here tonight. We're going to miss you, Mike. <laughs> but with us, our fearless leader, Chi Kong Lu. Hi, Chi. Hey, how's it going? Bro? Good, good. Game Critics senior editor, Brad Galloway, is here. Hi, Brad. Hey, good evening, everybody. The Richard Nyack is here. Hi, Richard. I feel like I should start swearing now just to make up for, for Breck and not be in here, but I think, I think I'm going to save it. People expect some things from the podcast, Richard. They expect either greetings, every peoples, or lots of F-bombs. And if we're not releasing the Bracken, you have to say greetings, every peoples. Oh, okay. Greetings, every peoples. All right. People. We got it. We got it. Yay! Hooray! <laughs> um, and our special guest, the U.S. news editor for Eurogamer, Jeffrey Maloff, is here tonight. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. We are going to kick it right off with what we've been playing. We've actually been playing a fair amount. Well, you guys have. I haven't been, I've been kind of lazy. But, um, Chi, do you want to start on Way of the Samurai 4? I know you've been playing that a lot. Sure. Well, I haven't play, been playing it that much, okay. but <laughs> I've been trying to put in as many hours as many hours as I, I can, and I'm a big fan of the series. So it's uh, quite a quite a few interesting things to talk about with there with with, with that game. Uh, first part I'll talk about is just the game as a whole. Is um you know as as like as I was saying, it's a sequel to the to the franchise. Um, it takes place in 1855 uh, J- Japan, and um, I gotta say I'm not. I wasn't too enamored with the start of this game, which is a big surprise for me. And it's a couple of weird things in play here. I think for for starters, uh, one of the big attractions for the series for me has always just been the characters and the storylines, and um, and how and how you progressively get involved and intertwined with them. I mean, it, it's the it's sort of the um, the man with no name formula, you know, the Clint Eastwood okay. thing, which was based on the what was the uh, Japanese version that it was based on of, of those stories that were based on. Hey, Chi, let me interrupt you for a second, dude. Mm -hmm. So I know that everybody here on the podcast is probably really familiar with Way of the Samurai, but I think this is a pretty weird game, and I think a lot of people may not know. So why don't you give us, like, the top-down view of, like, what makes Way of the Samurai so different from other samurai games? Not that there's a ton, but, I mean, this one is pretty unique. You want to give us a lowdown on it real quick? I was actually just going to ask that. (laughs) (laughs) So what what was the the Japanese version of the the good, the bad, and the ugly? We need the Bracken. We need the Bracken, I think. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's a that's my question. question. <laughs> I haven't. All right, well, it's 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 the same formula that that was the good and the bad and the ugly. I'm sure someone, you know, all those geeks out there know what I'm talking about. I just it's just escaping the, the my mind right now. But yeah, the games always have like three factions that you know 
um, that are sort of competing with each other, trying to you know you know take control of an area or just trying to gain an advantage in some kind of way. And you're the the nameless samurai that steps in to sort of uh, you know influence however you see fit. And that's always been the the main draw of the game is that it, it's it's really uh, fulfills that sort of that you know role playing fantasy of you know do whatever you want and you know affect the outcome of the final storyline and they usually have elaborate you know endings in terms of just like 10 or 15 different kind of endings and uh, depending on the actions of the players it's really hard to describe the games because they, they they're almost no games that are like it in in any way i mean in between all the decision making that you have to make and there's a lot of like you have to craft swords and there's sword fighting and there's sort of you know an elaborate martial arts combat and it's, it's really involved and i've and i've always loved it just for all the all those reasons on top of just them being very in, very different and taking a lot of chances and all that kind of good stuff so um, the problem yeah, so it's, it's an open world game correct um yeah i mean it's it's a little it's more like uh, choose your own adventure as opposed to okay. open world but I, I think open world is i think it's it's not what people when people say open world these days they're thinking more grand right. theft auto and it's not so much, although unfortunately it does get compared to Grand Theft Auto, even though I think that's a lazy comparison considering the topics are how different they are. But yeah, that, you know, I wrote a whole review. My review of um, Way of the Samurai 3 was sort of lambasting G4 for just sort of taking that easy route of comparing, uh, you know, Way of the Samurai to uh, Grand Theft okay. Auto. Okay. Yeah. So my problem with 4 is that, like, I was starting, and, and like, another part of the attraction, as I alluded to earlier, is that the, the, um, one of the attractions of, of of the games are just the characters are really strong. They're all they all have you know how we always talk about how characters just aren't are so poorly mm-hmm. written in video games. There's no motivation. There's just some basic character characterizations. And in Way of the Samurai, almost every single character has a very strong motivation. They 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 have their you know specific goals that they're trying to accomplish, and and that's how it sort of plays off one another in terms of the three the the rival three factions that always take take place. The problem I had with four is that right off the bat, the three fact none of the three factions I found particularly interesting, and they're starting to fall into a rut. I think be <laughs> be one thing that none of the the previous three games were, which is predictable. Mm-hmm. You know the the three factions are like the anti-government, you know, anti-foreigner faction. Then there's the the foreigner British faction, which they, they never had such a strong presence in any of the previous games before. And now they're sort of like its own thing. Now there's always been like sort of a foreign presence, but then now they're like really strong and it's, it, it follows that cheesy sort of Kung Fu model. Whenever the foreign devils in place, you know, they're always just sort of like sort of ridiculous looking, you know, <laughs> like, is there, you know, it's sort of like an Asian view. You know yeah. what I'm talking about, yeah. right guys? <laughs> yeah, they, totally. They, totally. They, they sort of play right into that. You know I mean? They just look ridiculous. You know, the, the, the ambassador of, of the of the of the British consulate, she's she's apparently she looks like a 15 year old girl, but whether she's actually 15 or not, I can't determine. But she's dressed and looks like a 15 year old girl. It's over, you know. There, there. I know there's a there's a, a legion of of people out there that like the way of the samurai games because they're so wacky in some ways. I never saw it that way. It was kind of interesting that way. I mean, the, people sort of always saw it as sort of like Saints Row, like sort of just, you know, you know, cr- whacked out crazy mm-hmm. doing all these crazy. You can play dress up and you can do all, you know, the first game had like the Afro Samurai. That was like sort of like set the tone for that wacky side. But I think what I loved about the games is that th- that was sort of open to interpretation. I played the games fairly straight. I, I played it like a like a hardcore, you know, Kurosawa film, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I felt it allowed me to do that. But I think 
some people always sort of got off the rails thinking like it's just this crazy game and unfortunately the fourth one sort of it just feels too crazy you know like they like, like they sort of like said oh we hear what the fans want so we, we just up, up the crazy levels you know and i don't know so the, all of it hasn't quite you know intrigued me thus far i'm still a little bit early into it to put in like probably 10 15 hours you know i'm starting to get into a little bit of groove and that's helped but like i said i'm not crazy about the story which is you know which is sort of integral to, to the you know driving through all the multiple passes i want to see how everyone reacts and how what their final outcomes i'm, I'm not sure if i'm as invested this time and as well as like i said just the tone is a little bit off for me so uh, a little bit, you know, hesitant to recommend it at this moment, but I'll let you guys know if it turns around down the road. Brad, let me let me ask you a question really quick, Chi. Thanks, mm-hmm. you don't. Um, so I've played, I think I've played all of the Way of the Samurai games, um, mm-hmm. one, two, and three that were released here. But I gotta say, I didn't really like any of them, and I know we've talked about this often right, over the right. years. And, I, and, I, things, you know, and one, one, one quick thing I want to throw at you, Brad. Yeah. yeah. After yeah. playing four, I kind of get that now. <laughs> I can see <laughs> why, because I think four emphasizes the more negative things that I find about the series, but yeah, go ahead. Interesting. Okay, we'll have to take this offline and have like an hour-long discussion about that. But <laughs> oh, I know. Um, So one thing that has always kind of thrown me about the way of the samurai games is that um, they're very, very, very Japanese, which in some ways is really cool, but for, uh, you know, a foreign devil like myself who wants to jump in and play, like, I don't know, like, the Bushido code or anything. And there was a few times playing those games when I would, like, commit this offense and I wouldn't even know that I did it. Or, like, sometimes they would ask me, what's the right thing to do? And I'm like, dude, I literally don't know. Like, I don't know what is the... I, I have no clue what the right thing to do is. And and that's the kind of game... I, and I was going to ask you also, is it still where if you accidentally, you know, pull your sword out at the wrong time, you offend, like, the whole town and it becomes, like, this giant, like, brawl? Or, you know, are the consequences as heavy for making missteps in this one? And do they even give you a helping hand to kind of point you in the right direction? I wouldn't say it's as heavy as it was in the past where, like, that's the name of the game, right? Way of the Samurai. You know, it's all about living up to that Bushido code. I don't know. I've never had a, a big issue with it. Uh, you know, you, you can always sort of restart, or starting with the second game. And the first game was much rougher because that was almost like you die, that's it. You would lose your swords and everything, which is sort of like your attributes were always tied to the swords. Um, starting with the second game on, you could sort of, re, you know, restart and things like that. Um, thus far from the fourth game... It seems so almost linear in a way because they're, they're so they're pushing that 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 storyline so hard and th- those factions so hard. And I mentioned earlier how I loved how it was always sort of progressive. You could sort of just wander your way around and figure stuff out, and that's sort of not the case here. Right off the bat, you know, you get sort of thrown into this battle with you know between the three factions, and it's just so kind of hard line, more more hard line than I was used to. Yet at the same time, the whole bushido element of it, sort of you know being that virtuous samurai. It's kind of not there as far as it's not really emphasized. I think they are grading you because it's always there. Um, but I mean, the, and the other thing I was going to mention also was that even with the second, even with the previous games, I mean, that's sort of the part of the the trial and error style of the gameplay. You know, you kind of learn as you go. And, yeah, you you know, you learn maybe you shouldn't have done that. Maybe you should. And, you know, it's a part of, you know, the, the process, I think, of the gameplay, you know, so. Um, all I could say is for four, I don't see that emphasized as much, but they always do grade you at the end. So um, I, I don't know necessarily. I would say that this is the one that's going to turn you around to it, though. <laughs> you know? all right, Jeffrey, all right. did you have a question? Uh, yeah. So I've never played a way of the samurai game, but what I've heard about them is that they're very short games with oh, just a ton of different variants. Like they're only a few hours long and you can just play through them in just a ton of different ways. Is that accurate, or is that still true with this one, or is, should I 
for people exaggerating when they told me that. I think there it's a little bit exaggerated. I think with the first game, that seemed to be the case where you literally could maybe get through a game, you know, an entire game on a on a day or so. But then once they started slowing things down and making it lengthier from the second and third games on, I'm not sure that's entirely true. Although they were, they did seem relatively short, and that is the the point of the game is to play through it once and then play through it again, make different choices and that sort of thing. Although for this game, even for four, I felt like again. It's much longer now. I feel like it's, I don't see the end in sight. I've been sort of doing little chores here and there, and the days don't even automatically advance anymore. Whereas in the past, every little action you took sort of pushed the game forward. So it, it, it and that's what that's why the other games feel very um, rushed in a way because you're sort of always being pushed forward in a timeline, and that that was part of its charm as well. Is that if you didn't take action or you did take action, things would happen regardless. So there was always consequences, and it was just a matter of you choosing where you you know, where you wanted to insert yourself within those timelines. The, oh, right. sorry, Jeffrey. Kind of, I was just saying that always kind of like appealed to me in sort of a Majora's Mask Dead Rising sort of way is you just have like this fairly small amount of time to just do whatever you can. And, you know, it's not like Mass Effect where you have a lot of choices, but they're, you know, yeah. 40 hours long. So you're never really in the mood to play it again once you beat it. I, I think, unfortunately, one and two were most ex- experimental. Although th- those are like PlayStation Two era games now, so they'd be much harder to get into. But if you're sort of okay with that, you could probably find them for like a dollar ninety nine at GameStop. I'm sure at this point. So it you know, sounds like you would probably talk, recommend I start with three if I were to get in the series. I think if you're if you're more interested in the experimental sides of it, I would even I may even go back as far as one. But I think two for me, as I'm starting to think back on it now, remains the high point for me. Um, three was kind of a mixed bag. I mean, it was sort of, it, it took it into the next generation sort of, but then it sort of abandoned some of the things that I felt were most fascinating about the series. So I almost, if you're okay with like playing PlayStation two games, you know, I would, I would, I would start, try to start with two and even one, maybe I'd say two actually, cause one is really probably really rough. Okay. <laughs> so, so you would recommend the starting point as, as two, like that's sort of the definitive one. If you're if you're okay with PlayStation Two games, right? If you've like you know if, if you're sort of like a snob and you're like oh I can't go back to PlayStation Two games, then I would say forget it. Yeah, <laughs> then start okay. with three. But if you're okay with playing PlayStation Two games, I say start with two. Let me ask okay. you a quick question, Sheet. I I remember mm-hmm. you talked about one of the previous versions on another pod on like a different episode of the podcast, and you said that the sword crafting was really one of the things you loved about the series. Am I? That's the that's this series, right? Way this name. Yeah, that's the series. Is, yeah, I mean, is that I, still is yeah. that still there in four? Yep, it's there, and, and and unfortunately, that's where I felt like it was getting a little predictable. You know, you find the sword, you find the smith, and you know, you pay him some money. He helps you refine it a bit. You know, and you can break it down and into parts and reassemble other swords. So it's all there. I haven't seen any kind of a twist on it yet. You know, so that's why it's it's, it, but it's still there. Yeah, like I said, it's just feeling a little bit by the numbers for me as far as four. Okay, goes. so that is way of the samurai four, and it's oh wait wait wait. I just wanted to throw in one okay. other thing that I should have mentioned sooner was that um, for the first time this game was also download only on PlayStation Network. Oh wow! So I thought that was a pretty interesting thing in light of a lot of the t- things that we've been talking about as far as games going all digital, and as being as how niche of this game is. I think it raises an interesting question. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think you know, three went made it to store shelves, but probably just as soon disappeared <laughs> before you knew it. And I, I'm okay with the, you know, if this was the only way the developer or the publishers felt that they could release this and not, you know, lose money on it, 
I think it's great because I'd rather see it, you know, down digital only rather than not at all. But I thought that was kind of interesting that now we're seeing for the first time games that were uh, for the, you know, that used to be on store shelves for the first time being pure down digital download only. And it was like a still a, a 39.99. So it wasn't even like wow. a budget uh, price. Yeah. Wow. What do you guys think about that? Uh, well, I mean, compared to the normal $60 price point, I mean, that is actually kind of, kind of a budget price, right. the $40. <laughs> right, I guess um, so. <laughs> it, it's kind of, it, it is interesting in that, uh, there was a recent announcement by EA, I think a few months ago saying that they wanted to go all digital, I think, uh, what was it like the next five or six years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could be completely wrong on the timeline, but I know they were talking about doing it like within the, the near future. And what made me kind of skeptical about that is um, I would not think that broadband access in uh, not just the the United States, but like in the entire world would be prevalent enough to where that would be a viable option for like, this is the only way you're going to distribute games. Like, you know, a lot of people still use dial up or, you know, don't have internet connections at their, at their home at all. So, I mean, you'd figure that you would need to use, uh, discs and physical media to reach those those people but i mean i guess i mean i suppose that you know ea and some of these other companies have done the math and they you know think it's going to be profitable for them so i feel like if if like the new madden game was only available for digital download people would buy it for sure oh yeah they'd buy it definitely that's a good point uh, richard and it's interesting you bring up that up because the the download was still like a full a full four gigs it it wasn't like Mm -hmm. any kind of smaller game or anything like that it's the full thing and uh, it took forever. <laughs> it took like over an hour. Yeah. And, and being on the PlayStation Network, I don't know about you, but everything feels like at least 100% times longer on the PlayStation Network compared to the 360. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And then after it downloaded, it still needed to update something for some reason. I don't know why <laughs> why that's the case. And uh, so yeah, it took like a good you know hour and 15 minutes before I could even start playing, which is you know welcome to the new digital world. But um, I, I would also suspect that if these games somehow found a mass audience on the digital world that you know if it went somehow platinum they'd probably maybe put it you know to a a, uh, a physical media after the fact if mm-hmm. if it somehow you know achieved some sort of platinum status mm-hmm. but uh yeah yeah and that and that's actually what happened to uh amnesia the dark descent because initially it was download only it was a mm-hmm. I think it was it was like a twenty dollar game. It was download only, and then it did so well that they actually released a, uh, a disc version of it that had this terrible cover art of one of the monsters that's in the game. Like it looked, it was comedically awful the the cover art that was on that box. But I mean, they did release a disc version. Well, just just to jump in for a second here, I think I think what you're saying, Richard, is kind of a, a larger issue, and I do think that if EA is thinking of five years. I think they're way jumping the gun. I don't think yeah. at all that would be a good idea. But and, and, and um, I, I want to I want to stress that I might be wrong on that's that being actually what they said. That's that's a guess. Yeah, I mean, I think like in the big scheme of things, I think eventually that's where we're going. I think probably we would all at some point have to kind of concede that point. But I, I think the timeline is really in question. And I, I for me, I think it's going to be later rather than sooner. But that's kind of beside the point what i really wanted to do was chip in um to what she was saying in terms of this game being niche i mean way of the samurai is like the nichiest niche niche game you could ever get <laughs> i mean it doesn't come any niche any more niche than this unless you're doing like a horse racing sim or something like that so <laughs> i i mean and and the sales of three from what i heard were like astoundingly terrible which is not a surprise so i i you know even though i don't like these games that much personally i think it's great that they're available and i'm, I'm glad to see them because they are certainly something different and i think that's awesome 
So if if download is the only way that these games are going to come out, you know, as much as I hate to say it, I mean, I'm a guy who loves his disc. I mean, I love physical media, but if if that's my only choice to see this thing come out or not released at all, then sure, I'll go with download. And we're kind of seeing that become a, a more common strategy just this year. I mean, I'm actually really super hyped for uh, Tokyo Jungle, which I think I mentioned before in the podcast. But for those who don't know, it's it's a game where uh, I guess people go extinct and animals take over Tokyo. So you've got like Pomeranians and monkeys and lions like running through downtown Tokyo and you play like, you know, whatever. Crazy, crazy Japanese game that, you know, ordinarily we would never see over here. And most people thought it would never it was never going to come. But then they just released it as or announced it as a download only. And so to me, it's like, OK, well, that's kind of like a that's like a win. You know, like I totally wanted to play this game and I really was hoping it would be a disc. And I'm not surprised it's not going to be a disc. But on the other hand, I still get to play it and it's still going to be here. And people, you know, who are into those niche games are going to get a chance to go for it. So that's that's cool, man. That's really cool. The only downside, though, to this whole thing is that, and again, this is kind of a tangent, but with these download games, I mean, we're never going to see them go on sale. I mean, sometimes we do, but I think I think once everything goes digital only, it's it's going to be bad, man. I mean, I think Steam is Steam, but Steam is not everything. And I just see some of these download games on the 360 where I really would like to download some of them, but... They're like more expensive than the physical copies, and it's like, dude, I hate that. But anyway, yeah, not I to never, start I never understand that. I never understand. Uh, yeah, dude, blows me away. Like they never go on sale, they never change price, they never run out of stock. So it's like, dude, cut me a break. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, uh, that that stuff aside, if 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 the only way to get niche stuff is download, then I'm all for that. So Way of the Samurai, Tokyo Jungle, and a couple others, download only. Okay, cool. I guess I'm down. But we do see a lot of sales on like you know Apple iOS stuff, you know, and I. I think even uh, Xbox Live, they try. I mean, there's always like this whole tab that's devoted entirely to sales. I mean, don't you ever see that, Brad? Yeah, it's all the shitty stuff, though. It's never anything <laughs> that I want to buy, though. Like, all the good stuff stays at 40 bucks, And I'm like, dude, whatever. I'm not going to pay 40 bucks. Well, for what you're talking about is the the full games, the games on demand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, like, yeah. XBLA games and PSN, like, you know, the $10, $15 games, they actually go on sale a, a pretty decent amount. Yeah, they do. I mean, but it's like it's kind of not the same thing as where you can walk into a GameStop and you have like this entire like three walls of stuff that's like totally discounted, you know. And, yeah. and honestly, yeah, man, like, like with these, sounds. yeah, with these downloads, dude, who's gonna want to play any of this shit like in five years? I mean, very a very small percentage. Like people like us are gonna want to track down the old stuff. Right. I really have a hard time believing that Joe customer is gonna be like, oh yeah. I'm totally going to pay 40 bucks for this game from like five years ago that looks like ass. And you're not going to want to have four gigs on your hard drive from a game that's five years old either, just sitting around. Totally, totally. Yeah, I can see that hard drive is running out pretty damn quick as well. Yeah, you know, that's a worry. That's a little bit of a worry. So, yeah, these drives are going to have to get like huge, either that or like, you know, programming is going to have to be like, you know, like compression on the fly or something. Who knows? hard, Hard drive space is actually pretty cheap now because, I mean, you can get like a drive that's like a a terabyte for less than a hundred dollars. Well, now, now when Microsoft's selling it. <laughs> well, yeah, not when Microsoft's, <laughs> not when Microsoft's throwing it in there, but I mean, like maybe like, you know, going forward, I mean, hard disk space is very, very cheap and it's getting cheaper. Yeah. But so that, that would be the hope. Proprietary. So, you know, yeah. you have to get the, uh, Yeah. The, Believe me, I, I was, even when I had my old Xbox, I was always looking for that 120 gigabyte, Upgrade and it would never go on sale, man. Totally, <laughs> dude. Even yeah. even when it was like already extinct, you know, like the 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 new the new Xbox was already in place, the the slim one, and you could you could barely still find the old hard drives on sale. I'm on, now I'm on the new Xbox. It's irrelevant now anymore. But yeah. um, you know, it's if whatever reason why I don't know why the console publishers can't you know sort of regulate those prices to match yeah those um PC 
uh, market uh, prices. But yeah, maybe if they did, it would seem more practical. But then maybe they will eventually. But I'm not seeing. That I think right it's. Now. I think it's like a waiting game to see what company is going to be the first to put like a AAA title out, download only, and like that's what I'm waiting to see who's going to do it first. Well, Super Mario Brothers too. Download digital. Download. Really. Not an exclusive yeah, not though. Yeah, it's not download only. When you see like who's going to put their big franchise out, just download nothing else. And I think that's what's right, going right. to change everything. Does anybody else yeah. want to comment on this topic before we move on? Okay, um, Richard, you've been playing some games lately. I have indeed. Uh, first up is uh, Sleeping Dogs. Um, it's we were just talking about uh, lazy comparisons to uh, to Grand Theft Auto, but I mean I think the the Grand Theft Auto comparison really does kind of hold here um it's a grand theft auto style game that's set in hong kong and it's got a lot of uh, arkham city in it as well especially in terms of the uh the the combat engine um i'm about eight hours into this so far and i'm still kind of iffy on it these these games and i has these kind of games and i historically have never really gotten along um all of the grand theft auto games that i have played i have gotten like incredibly bored after like the first few missions then i go look up the cheat codes and i just run around and blow shit up for an hour and then i you know take it out of my uh system and play something else uh, that that's every single grand theft auto game that was the way with <laughs> grand theft auto 3 it was with vice city um i never actually played san andreas but uh that was how it was with um uh, grand theft auto 4 uh the only exception to this rule was actually red dead redemption and uh, like i actually played through all of that and uh i did a good chunk of the side content as well and jeffrey i can hear you you vomiting in your mouth right right now because i know you hate this game but uh red dead redemption the middle 75 percent of it (laughs) okay well red dead redemption is the only one of these games that i've actually finished because i actually cared about the the protagonist that i was i was playing as like i liked john marston like i cared about his relationship with the people in in this world and that that kept me going through the game and you know i'm glad i did because that game actually does uh end really well but um so far i'm not sure if i care about uh wei shen the uh the protagonist in in sleeping dogs it's i think i'm at the point now where i mean like i said i'm eight hours in i think i'm at the point where the story is starting to pick up but i'm still kind of in wait and see mode i'm not sure if i'd recommend it just Brad, yet. did you have a question real quick Yeah, Richard, I wanted to ask you, so, I mean, kind of getting back to the Grand Theft Auto thing. So, I've kind of been following Sleeping Dogs a little bit, not like a ton, but enough to kind of know that I'm not really, like, super eager to go out and, like, get a copy of it or anything. But, you know, I've been talking about it with people, and everybody seems really high on it for some reason. And when I ask them, I'm like, so what, so from just my outsider's perspective, having not played it, this game to me looks exactly like Grand Theft Auto 3 with less guns and an Asian theme. And so whenever I ask people about it, what's so great about this game? Why do you like it so much? The first thing out of the mouth, every single time without fail, Hong Kong. Hong Kong is so cool. The game is set in Hong Kong. And like, okay, I'm a, I'm a fan of Hong Kong cinema. I like Asian cinema. I think that's cool. I'm, you know, I'm down with that. But just having a different setting is not enough for me to go, wow, I want to go play another generic open world game, except for I'm in Hong Kong this time, because does it really fucking matter? Like, so, so from your perspective, is there anything to this game besides gta set in hong kong i mean like fill me in man not not in particular uh, i will I knew say it i knew I, it I, I will say that to the game's credit this game 
mechanically does handle quite a bit better than uh, any of the Grand Theft Auto games, especially oh, yeah, the driving. Like the yeah, the, the Grand Theft Auto games, the driving is just, it, it, it's awful. Like, any dri- any of the driving burning. missions will just yeah. make you want to punch yourself in the face. Uh, <laughs> the shooting is always just terrible and awful. The, the fighting is just not, it, it's never been good at all. This game, that stuff actually works. Like, driving around the city is actually fun. Doing the chases is fun. Uh, fighting, it's, like I said, it's just like Arkham City. It's very fluid. It's like that freeform combat that Arkham City, or Arkham Asylum, I guess, kind of kind of pioneered there. Um, but, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's bad. And, I mean, even after I roll credits on it, I doubt that I will say it's bad unless it just, it pulls like a deus ex human revolution. It just absolutely crashes in the last, like, two hours or so. But, um... I, I don't know. It's like, like I said, I'm still kind of that in kind of that uh, in between mode between recommend and not recommend. Right, Jeffrey? Now. Did you want to jump in no. here? I'm sorry, Chief. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Okay, I haven't played it yet. I actually just rented it, and I haven't even cracked open my copy, so I'll try it out later tonight. But like, I'm not a GTA fan at all. Um, for all the reasons Richard described, is I just found the the driving, shooting, and just like every individual element to be really not fun but what i've heard speaking dogs is like hate club here man (laughs) yeah i mean before what i've heard it's like it it seems like it follows a gta template a lot but actually like the driving is actually really fun the combat's good and like the moment for moment like things that you do are like way more refined and way more fun is that like unlike brad um you know hong kong was kind of far down on the list of things that people said made it better it's usually driving and combat were like the main yeah, and let me just add yeah, to what Jeff was saying. Sorry, let me just add real quick because I was more or less echoing what he said. Everything, every, more or less what he, I was going to echo what he was going to ask rather in terms of that. That sounds like a pretty good deal. If it's just GTA improved, hey, sign me <laughs> up. Right? Why not? Why wouldn't I want to play this? I mean, that's what we're complaining about. So yeah, go ahead, Richard. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say what uh, what Jeffrey said was accurate. It's GTA with much better controls, uh, much better mechanics. Um, and I do have to say, I mean, even if Hong Kong isn't that big a deal, I do have to say the city is pretty cool. It is a nice setting. Um, I will give it that much. Uh, like I said, my opinion of this is going to hinge on where the story goes at this point, whether or not I actually care enough to, to push through it. Um, because if not, I'm just going to start driving cars off, off bridges and like shooting <laughs> through right. the windshields at random and just doing all kinds of that stuff. Because, I mean, if, if that happens, then that means it's like DEFCON 5 disaster. I, I don't like this game anymore. But if I actually play through to the end, then, you know, maybe. We'll see. So how's the story looking again, then? Uh, I think... I'm at the point where it's about to pick up. I'm about eight hours in and it's been, I mean, it hasn't been bad up to this point, but it's like, hasn't been like, you know, particularly great. That's um, a really long time to wait for a story to pick up, dude. That means most games are getting to be over by the time you hit eight hours. <laughs> I don't think this game no, it depends any... on the game. Wouldn't you say, Brad, some games, like, well, you know... most action think... games, man, they're done by 10 hours. Usually. I mean, eight hours for the story to get started. Oh, that sounds awful. Well, I would say, no, it's not getting started. It's just, it, it's a little it's bit getting difficult. Good. To... It, no, it's it's a little bit <laughs> hard to, to describe. Make sense. I don't want I don't want to make it sound like it's worse than I actually think that it is, but I will say that I'm at the point where I think emphasis on I think that there's going to be a an uptick. <laughs> you can just feel it coming in the air tonight, oh loud. <laughs> yes, exactly that. Exactly that, Dylan. That's exactly what I said when I got to this moment. I'm like, oh shit, I better write this down. And then I didn't write it down. Cause it's stupid. But, <laughs> 
Richard may have done Sleeping Dog the biggest favor ever by just underselling it because I actually feel more interested yeah. in the game after after hearing what he's had to say about it. You know, so if I go in there now, it'd be like, oh, it's kind of it's terrible. Richard's like, oh, that's kind of Richard was alluding to. But if it's not, yeah, he totally undersold it, man. High, you know, low expectations. Well, you know, if my my final word is like if. I mean, if you are a fan of the GTA games, and I mean, I know a lot of people that are, then I mean, I, I honestly think that you would like this because this is like GTA, but better. And that's really the best way to describe it. Fair enough. That is, is that, uh, what is, what system is that? Is that Xbox? Uh, it's on every major okay. platform. I'm actually playing on the PC version. And uh, actually, kudos to uh, Square Enix and, um, oh, I forget the name of the developer. I think it's United Front. United Front, yeah, it's United Front. Kudos to United Front because they actually put together a damn strong PC release. It, it plays great, runs perfect on my system. It actually doesn't use a ton of ton of resources, which is very impressive. So, good good job for them. All right, um, you've been playing a couple other ones too, right? Uh, yeah, there's also a Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. Okay. Um, I I bought this as part of the uh, Metal Gear that that. Excuse me. Um, I bought this as part of the uh, Metal Gear Solid HD collection that came out on uh, PS3 a few months mm-hmm. ago. Um, the main reason I bought it was because, uh, one, I wanted to play Peace Walker, and I don't own a PSP, so I couldn't do it up to that point. And two, my copy of Metal Gear Solid 3 had gone missing, so you know it was kind of it was a win-win basically. Uh, so I finally started playing it a little while ago, and it's actually pretty good. I was actually a little surprised because I wasn't expecting to to like it quite this much. Um, it's half the game is well, maybe not half. Seventy five percent of the game is pretty standard Metal Gear as far as like you know Metal Gear Solid two and three goes. Um, you have missions, you have to like sneak around guards and like you know accomplish these objectives. It's a very stealth based game and like the same metal gear style as the other games uh but then the other part of this game is like this sort of this sim game where you like you run outer heaven like you play as big boss in this game and you're like sort of getting the organization that becomes outer heaven started and you have to play like you know sort of this management sim it's like where you like assign people to missions you like research new items you buy upgrades and stuff like that and it's actually it to be honest, it reminds me a little bit of a Reketeer, an item shop's tale, in that you've got two very, very different types of gameplay. Uh, in Reketeer's case, it was like this item store sim and then like this you know, kind of basic dungeon crawler that kind of serve as nice breaks from each other. Because like after each mission, you can go back to your base and like, you know, do more uh, management tasks. And it's like I found myself like actually enjoying doing it's like, okay, well, I've been playing all these missions for a while. Now I'm going to go, you know, just fiddle around at the base. And then, you know, oh, okay, well, I'm bored with this now. Now I can go, you know, sneak around and, like, sneak up behind guys and knock them out. So it it, it's, it worked for me. It, I mean, I will say that it worked for me. The one thing I dislike about this game immensely, the bosses. The bosses in this game are awful. They're not particularly difficult, but they're just extremely tedious. Like, every single one is, it's either, like, a tank or a helicopter or something like that like gigantic vehicle with tons and tons of health it's like it's not challenging it's just like really 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 tedious just because they have so much health and it's like it totally goes against the grain of like most of the other bosses in the series because most metal gear bosses are actually uh pretty good for the most part so but i mean other than that i i I actually do enjoy peace walker quite a bit all right that's peace walker does anybody have anything they want to ask about peace walker I know Brad's already played it. I have a question, but I was 
I was going to jump yeah. in real quick and say pretty much everything that Richard said, I ditto. Um, I kind of fell out of love with Metal Gear. I, I still kind of am not like um, I used to be a huge fan and now I'm less of a fan. But Peace Walker was super solid and I really enjoyed that one a ton. And just for the exact same reasons uh, Richard mentioned, I mean, traditional action, but then you got the sim parts and like it was kind of a good balance between the both. And I definitely agree about the bosses. I mean, that game was uh, intended to be tackled as a group. I mean, if you have a couple people taking on those bosses, the bosses go down a lot quicker. But, I mean, I soloed like 99% of it. And so I know exactly what he's saying. Those bosses take way too long to kill. Especially the last boss was just like, oh, my God. Like, it was just like punishment. (laughs) But other than that, I really – I think it was a great game. And if they had taken away the multiplayer slant, it would have been – pretty close to like the perfect psp title for me it's it's definitely a recommend for sure yeah i i don't actually know anyone that plays on the ps3 like everyone i know that has the game has the the psp version you can't you can't cross play between the two so it's like i have to solo everything and it's like just me with a rocket launcher like using those little supply markers like you know 20 times per boss fight trying to like knock all those health bars off and it was just ugh, it's just the pits so that is yeah, oh, go ahead, game. Jeffrey. Sorry. I was just saying, I played the game on PS3 last year because, like Richard, I didn't have the, the original PSP. And, and I liked it. I didn't like it as much as you guys because that tactical element of, like, sending out troops um, via menus between levels, that didn't appeal to me. So, I, you know, I like the stealth stuff. But, yeah, between that and the bosses, it was probably my least favorite of the main series. But, you know, it's still pretty Do you good. guys feel this is a game that works better on a portable system, or was it just as good on a on a console? Well, it looks better on a console. Yeah. They, they. Yeah, I, I think I would actually have a hard time playing this on a on a mobile platform, just because, just because so much of the Metal Gear style of stealth play relies on you, kind of looking around and like seeing things in the environment. I mean, especially like in in three and in this game, because in starting in three they took away that little radar that you had that like showed you where the enemies were and like what direction they were looking whereas in uh this game in three you don't have that at least you don't have uh have something exactly like that so i mean you really do need to see where stuff is and on a smaller screen i could see that getting kind of frustrating that's funny because i was gonna say i thought it was the perfect psp game to be on the go i mean i played it i didn't have any problems with controls and the scope of the game is small i mean the missions are pretty bite-sized the, the, the strategy stuff where you're assigning troops is, is also really small. Like you said, it's really menu-based. And for me, like, I played it on the PSP, like, you know, in between breaks at work and stuff like that. And I thought it was great. Like, I could totally get in, like, two or three missions while I was on my lunch break or something. And then just, you know, keep going. And I didn't feel like it was this giant... Uh, I, I didn't have to really pay that much attention to the story because, you know, I don't like to do that in Portable because you're constantly getting erupted or you got to go somewhere. You know, it, for me, Portables are more about, like, just action as you're traveling somewhere. And I thought it was a great fit for the PSP. I, I honestly can't see myself being that interested to play it on a home system because when I'm at home, I want something big, like bigger and meatier and juicier. And to me, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I should try it, but I thought it was great on the PSP. Well, that is Peace Walker. Richard, do you want a quick hit? You had another title as well you've been playing, right? Uh, yeah, there was also uh, Darksiders oh, 2. Right. Um, I'm I'm really, really early in this one. I've only got about uh, two hours on it so far. I actually just got it in the mail uh, Thursday. Speaking of which, the package that I uh, received it in the mail actually featured the artwork of one Whitaker Galloway. And oh, I'm sorry, Brad. Did you not want me to use his name? Oh, that's fine. Okay. It featured the artwork of uh, 
one Whitaker Galloway. And Brad, I, I got to say, you need to teach that kid to draw, like, post-haste. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, only from you, Richard. <laughs> only you would say something like that. I, I mean, what is this thing? Is it like an elephant? Is it a, is it a, like a snake? I'm just, I'm, I'm really confused. You here, know, but... so what it was, it was a scribble. For those who don't know, Richard came over to my house. Was it, was it last year? Was that uh, it was, pass? yeah, it was last year's PAX Prime, yeah. Yeah, anyway, anyway, point being, we had PAX, Richard came out to this co- West Coast, and he came over to my house, and he met my family and my son, and my son just thought Richard was, like, the coolest dude ever. My son was totally fascinated with Richard, and so when I was uh, mailing this game off to Richard, I, uh, you know, I had the copy in my hand, and I was sending it to him to review, and I said, hey, Witty, I'm going to send this to Richard. You remember Richard? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, hey, do you want to send him a message? And he said, sure. And so he got his little pen and he drew it. And to be honest with you, he told me what it was when he drew it. It looks just like a little scribble. And he was, I'm like, what is this? And he's like, oh, it's something, something. And, you know, it was really cute when he said it. And I'm kind of mad at myself that I forgot what it was. But I sent it out. And I thought it was just the sweetest thing ever that he remembered that you were there and that you were in the Midwest or wherever the fuck it is that you live and that he wanted to send you a little <laughs> message. And I thought that was just really cute. So. Well, I mean, in, in all seriousness, it was a, a very sweet gesture, and it did it, it did brighten up kind of a rough day at the time. But uh, at least she got the region right this time. She kept saying I lived in Mississippi or something when I was there. No, I'm like, whatever, dude. It's all the same. It doesn't, I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, dude, give me some credit. Jesus Christ. East Coast, West Coast, and a lot of bullshit in the middle. Like, just, you know, whatever. Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so Darksiders 2, Richard, how are you finding it so far? uh more or less like i found the first game um primarily the first game i got kind of bored with and never really finished and this one i mean granted i'm still very 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 early but it feels the same i mean it feels like just this very generic action title with like some zelda elements and you know i mean that's not necessarily a bad thing but it's you know not really something i can get too excited about i mean i know a lot of people on my uh my twitter feed especially are are raving about this game like they absolutely love this game but i mean uh you know maybe i'll see that maybe i won't but i you know first two hours or so aren't aren't doing it for me just yet what did how much of this did you play brad um well i i didn't uh play a lot i mean i got it in the mail and i sent it out to you i think i probably played like maybe I want to say maybe four or five hours before I send it out to you because I wanted to see, you know, if it was worth picking up for 60 bucks or whatever. And I mean, okay, so my history with the series is like I thought Darksiders 1, it came to it maybe a couple years after it came out. And I thought it was great. Like I thought it was really underrated. I found it to be really exciting. And it was certainly an amalgamation of different elements that people have said it was like, you know, Zelda and some other stuff. But it was it was fun. Like I really thought it was really well put together and it flowed well and the pace was good and it was great. And I was really pulling for this game Darksiders 2 but to be perfectly honest with you man in the four or five hours that I played like I was bored and I I don't want to you know this is tough to say because I know those guys over there who have made this game they're really nice guys they're super nice guys I think they're great and I was really pulling for this game in a big way because I think that Darksiders 1 never got the props it really deserved I thought it was much better than people gave it credit for which kind of surprised me that they actually had enough success to make a second one and I was glad to see it come but I mean, honestly, this is this is like Arkham City for me all over again, where Arkham Asylum was like new and fresh and exciting and bold. And then Arkham City comes out and it's like the exact same thing, but bigger and more and gamier. And it didn't have the same spark. And that's that's exactly what happened with me. I mean, granted, didn't finish. I only played about four or five hours, but I did not want to see more. And it's it kind of sucks because I see a lot of people hyping this game up on Twitter. And I know a lot of people are rooting for this team and I don't want to I don't want to be a hater. But at the same time, it's like. 
the setting is different. Like you're in this kind of generic fantasy world rather than a post-apocalyptic Earth, which to me was kind of a downside. The dungeons right off the bat are way too big. And that was one of the things I didn't like about the first Darksiders was I felt the dungeons were too long. You're starting off these fetch quests right off the bat, and Death, who is your main character, is like Mr. Sarcastic, Mr. I don't take bullshit from anybody because I'm Death. And yet he makes his stupid little quip, and then he does the stupid fetch quest for whoever it is he's, he's talking to. And, I, you know, I just, I'm not really into these giant dungeon fetch questy. what am I doing again, and why am I doing this, and this is really boring. And, you know, to top it off, I mean, I see a lot of people talking about the loot system where you get, like, these 85 million pieces of boots and pauldrons and shin guards and cod pieces and all this stuff. And it's like, why am I killing this bat and, like, this giant fucking sword pops out of it? Like, that's <laughs> such an old trope and such a stupid idea. Can we not leave that behind? I'm just not interested in... I don't know. Like, I, I hate to even say this because I wanted this game to be so good, but it really bored the fuck out of me. And it felt like they were just, I don't know, like the spark was gone. Like, they, they felt like they needed to do a sequel. So everything's ten times bigger, and there's ten times more, and it's more, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. And it's just like, why? Like, I don't, I don't know, man. It wasn't clicking with me. The, the way you describe the, the second game is almost exactly how I felt about the first game. Like, I just, I mean, I'm being derivative is not necessarily a bad thing by itself. I mean, almost, I mean, let's be honest, almost every game is derivative in, in, in some way, shape, or form. But the first Darksiders, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's like you were saying, I just saw no spark in that game at all. I mean, I think I got up to about the halfway point where I just said, you know, fuck it and, and quit. Cause it was just, it was just boring me that much. And you know, this one was, I actually kind of had high hopes for this one because I, uh, I, I like the idea of what they were trying to do in, in Darksiders one. I thought that, you know, merging a lot of the elements that they did could be successful if done the right way. So I was willing to give this one a, you know, a chance and, you know, like I said, I have not played enough of it a- at all to form any sort of informed opinion on it. But I don't know. You're not giving me much hope there, Brad. Yeah, if you didn't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I see a lot of people say that they love this one. And, you know, I'm not saying that they're lying, but I, I kind of feel like people are kind of giving it more of a pass than they should. But, I mean, just honestly, dude, if you thought the first one was boring and too long and, and derivative, I I can't imagine you liking this one. But. I, I guess we should wait for you to get further before you <laughs> before you put gonna, words in your mouth, I suppose. Are you going to gamefly it, Brad, or something? Uh, no, I think after playing the four or five hours that I did before I sent it to Richard, I think I'm just not going to bother with it. I've got too many other things to play, and I didn't, you know, if I can put four hours into game and be bored, I'm not going to put another four hoping it's I know bad, Mike said so. he was excited to talk about it, so maybe we can revisit it when Mike's back and then Richard has played it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I, I fear I fear if this game doesn't do well, this is going to be the deathbed for uh, THQ, and uh, that'd be sad because THQ, in my mind, they're one of the good yeah. guys. I mean, they they sort of yeah, you know yeah. they yeah. put out a, a couple of different games, not always successful like Homefront, but you know they do the UFC, they did the UFC games, but they unfortunately they lost that contract to EA, so that's a, another bad thing for them. But um, yeah, I mean I hate to see them go. I mean they're definitely uh, I know I know, and that's what, that's what makes it so painful to even say that, dude. But it's like I don't want to just. And I think about that, too. Like, you know, I like THQ. They've always been really good to us, and they're a great company. But, you know, I mean, I can't just sit here and be like, yeah, I don't want THQ to go under, so this game's great. Right. And yeah, I know no, people's I jobs are on the line and shit. Like, I think about that. But honestly, like, I'm just bored. I mean, but thankfully, I mean, there's a ton <laughs> of people out there who love this game. I'm not one of them, but a lot of people out there love it, so... Cool. Yeah, and that you know? and that's kind of how I felt when I... Even before I started it, it's like I kind of got the idea that this was... 
that that this was like you know THQ's saving throw in a way because it like, is. you know they, they it lost is. they felt they lost the UFC contract. Um, I mean they put out home. I mean I personally I hated Homefront, but I think it did fairly well commercially, but like not nearly well enough to like you know pull them out of whatever hole that they're in. So I mean it does feel kind of I mean. It, it, it does make a person feel bad to like trash on a game that you know is like a lot of people have their livelihoods for, like writing on, but you know, it is what it is. That's Darksiders 2. We'll talk about that again, I think, when Mike gets back because I know he's excited to talk about it. And I know that Jeffrey has been playing a fair amount of games lately, correct, Jeffrey? Uh, yeah, I've been playing quite a few. So um, I'm trying to think which, which one should I start with? You, you guys know what I've played. Um, the smaller ones first. Save Papa and you have yeah. Okay. So sorry, which one first? Any of the smaller ones. Okay. Um, yeah, so I played... Um, I'll start with an older one, and all the other ones are current. But uh, I just, last night, got around playing the Stanley Parable, which was a, a mod for Half-Life 2 that came out last year. I know, I know I'm, like, way behind on this. It's like, <laughs> uh, it's like, wow, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, we could talk about some current stuff if that's more interesting no, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know anything don't about either. that game do any of us know anything about this game anybody i i've heard of it but i haven't played it okay then then Jeff, the, I, we don't know shit about this game Go okay then it. you're the right audience because like all i heard about it was like it's great you have to play it but like i'm not a huge pc gamer so when i hear something's a mod at the time i had a new computer and i was just too lazy to like install half-life 2 or install this the source code or whatever so i only recently you know got around checking it out so um before i talk about it, I'll let you know that it's actually being remade the guy who made it is making like a standalone version so there will be a more accessible way to play it but so the concept of it you know it's it's best to not know a lot going in but i'll just give away like the first you know stuff that happens in the, in the first 90 seconds or so so you're this guy named stanley who's just this office drone he sits at a, a desk and he inputs buttons that the monitor tells him to input and the whole thing is being being narrated um, kind of like Bastion or something, but in Bastion it happens in in past tense, like you pick up a sword and the narrator will say like, you know, the kid picked up the sword. And so in this, the narrator's telling you what you're about to do, but you don't have to follow that. Oh. So, yeah, so you start out like, you know, he says, like, you know, and then Stanley realized that no one was in the office. So he went outside to investigate and you come to a room. There's like a left door and a right door. And it goes like Stanley. Stanley went down the door on the left and you cannot choose to obey the narrator or go down the door on the right. In which case, the narrator will be like, Stanley wasn't very good at following <laughs> directions. <laughs> and and like you, it can go more and more off the rails if you don't follow directions. But there actually is a full story that's interesting if you do go along with the story that the narrator is trying to tell. So it kind of falls into this realm of like, you know, sort of like Bioshocky commentary on free will and game design. But um, the the way a friend of mine described it, which I think is pretty apt, is it's kind of like a game version of Stranger Than Fiction, the Will Ferrell movie where he yeah. hears the narrator describing his life. So yeah, it's it's kind of like that, um, and it's short too. It's like each playthrough, I think there's six different endings, um, yeah, six or seven, and like you can go through a whole initial playthrough in about maybe eight minutes or so. So you can get like every ending. In, in wait, wait, how long did you say? About eight minutes. 
Eight minutes. Oh wow. Okay. That's, yeah, yeah. that's super so. fast. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So like you like I said, you can get like every you can investigate like every alternative ending, especially if you save before the decisions, um, which I was usually too lazy to do because I just I didn't want to get all my files mixed up. Um, and really, I watch a couple of endings on YouTube. I think I've got like three or four on my own, and just watch the rest after that. But yeah, it's like it's really short, but there's so much variation and you know what you can do and and then it's one of the best examples i've seen of like a game that really gives you a lot of agency because the 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 endings are like very very different um they have like literally like nothing in common so it's you know if you have i don't even think you actually need half-life 2 i think you just need like the source code so if you have you know team fortress or anything the anything with the source engine installed you can get it um, it's on Desura, so you have to just Google Stanley Parable, and you know it's a mod, so it's free. But it's it's really interesting, it's really funny, really clever. Um, and What's the standalone platform going to be? Um, I mean, PC. I mean, it'll be I think Steam probably. How? Uh... So it might be a Mac too. Is that what you were asking? Or no, I was just curious, like you know, whether it might be like Xbox Live or something. Like yeah, that. I, I mean, I would love the for the Rio console version, but I don't know if that's in the cards yet. When you say it's eight minutes, like if you kept going back and replaying and replaying it, how much playtime do you think is there? Hmm? That's what I'm saying about okay, an hour. Okay, okay. Like yeah, every, you can go through like every alternative and you know about that's that, cool. maybe a little more. That sounds like a really interesting mechanic. I like that a lot. That the idea of it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really highly recommend that. Um, does anyone else have any questions or comments about that? Well, my only question would be: I mean, did you feel like, like, what was the ultimate point of the game? Like, was it funny? Do you feel like the structure itself was kind of like commenting on games in general? Was there something in the story that spoke to you? I mean, I mean, that's a super interesting idea, and I'm totally down with shorter games. But, like, I mean, it's just, like, I mean, like, like, what did it mean to you, or what did you take away from it without, you know... Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So, I'd say it's primarily satire. I mean, it's not, like, you know, this deep, emotional, moving game. It's, it's, you know, it's a lot of satire about the way the games work, and uh, there's so many jokes I want to give away, but I I can't. But, like, the narrator is basically constantly, like, um, you know making fun of or, you know, commenting on conventional game design and why that won't work here. So, so yeah, I think that anyone who's really interested in, like, game design and how games can tell stories will find, you know, this. it's really just about that conversation rather than actually having, like... You know, I read a couple interviews with the guy who made it afterwards because I was so interested in it, and he didn't really... He kind of admitted that he didn't have, like, a particular agenda or particular point. He just kind of wanted people to think about this stuff and he kind of like looks at this topic from several different angles in a very funny and clever fashion so that's the stanley parable it's available free it sounds like it's definitely worth checking out um you've been playing 30 flights of loving as well correct yeah which is an even shorter game than the stanley parable (laughs) shorter than eight minutes dude uh i'm not shorter than eight but it's about 15 minutes long okay so So this is a, a sequel to a game called Gravity Bone. Are any of you familiar with Gravity Bone? Never even Me either. Heard. Nope, yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, Gravity Bone was a, a free game for PC and I think Mac too. Um, and, and Gravity Bone was also a 15-minute long game. And, and the, the idea behind it was it, 
I'm trying to think how to describe it. It's a first-person game with this really kind of cartoony art deco art style where people have, like, these funny cube heads and um, it kind of looks like a diorama. It's like Quake 2 engine, so it's really, you know, it can run on any, pretty much any computer, but it's, you know, it's very cartoony, so it doesn't really matter. And there's basically, like, like no conventional gamey elements to it. I guess you call it an adventure game, but there aren't really any puzzles. You just kind of, like, walk through a, a very scripted... I mean, it's, it's called, like, an interactive short story, is, I believe, how it's built. So you kind of, you know, walk through the story and funny things happen. But it does a lot of interesting things with that. Like, it, it's almost presented more almost more like a, a montage in a conventional game. Like, you'll walk through a, you know, a hallway and, like, something will happen and then it'll, like, flash forward and you're, like, in the next scene that's, you know, like a chase or something. So it kind of tells its story like a short film. And, I mean, I'm trying to describe it. It's, aside from just saying that it's funny. Um, it... Yeah, just it, it's the whole thing's kind of a, a parody of like spy films, basically. Um, and the second one, uh, Thirty Flights of Loving, is more of a parody of like Capers and like an Ocean's Eleven type okay. thing. But yeah, I'm so, like, so those, what's what's like the gameplay actually like? And can you describe yeah, some more of the gameplay? Yeah. Right, that's the part that's a little hard to describe because it's there aren't any conventional mechanics. Like you can't get a game over. Actually, the first one, I think you might have been able to like miss a jump at one part but beyond that it's like i guess fetch quests but that makes it sound is it really like, cool. but is it a first person view third person view yeah, yeah sorry it's a, it's a first person game okay mm-hmm. yeah like you know somebody might tell you you know you know uh, plant a bug on this person so you walk around and you can kind of like talk to people at the party um and there's no dialogue too all the dialogue's like really funny mumble speak and <laughs> So it's like Star Fox, basically. No, I'm just... Um, the Sims with more gameplay? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Probably less gameplay, actually. Because, less gameplay, oh wow. God. Yeah. This is like, really, really hard, I, yeah. I don't know if you've played Dear Esther. It's maybe a little bit more like that, but um, without without the narration. But it's, it's a lot... It's really interesting because, like, it... It doesn't have any conventional game elements. You know, you're basically being shepherded through this story. But so initially you kind of think that it wouldn't tailor itself well to a video game. Like, why isn't it just a movie then, right? But there's something about the way that if everything feels a lot more surprising because you're playing it, you know, because of all like the jump cuts forward. Right. And like both right. both games have a lot of that. So, I mean, there's been games that have done like, you know, hallucination scenes and things like that where you're kind of, like, playing in a dream and it, like, jumps ahead. But they're usually kind of kind of boring, mm-hmm. you know? They're usually kind of slow and, you know, languid. It's like someone's, like, describing your past or something. And this isn't like that. These are, like, really punchy, really energetic, really quick. And, and like, like I said, they're parodies of, like, you know, spy fiction and caper films. Um so, you know, look up the trailer for it, and you know, I, I'd highly recommend that everyone at least tries Gravity Bone, because it's free. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 30 Flights of Loving, it's it's about 5 bucks. I think it's $4.50 um, for its first week or so. 
which I, under- I know a lot of people complain that that's a lot for a 15-minute game, but I think it's sort of just to, you know, if you like the first one and you want more of that, it's, you know, helps support the developers. There's also a commentary on it, um, which I haven't played through yet. So, you know, that will double the lifespan. But, it, like, I feel like I got more out of that in 15 minutes than I do in a lot of games the last several hours. So, I'm going to check. I felt, okay. the, felt the same way about Flowers, so you're not going to hear any complaints from from guys like yeah, us. Yeah, I'm going to check sure. out Gravity Bonus, at least, because that sounds really interesting. And seriously, like, you know, a latte is like 450 yeah. so, I, you know, it doesn't take me 15 minutes to drink a latte, so if you put it in those terms, that's not really a bad price for something that sounds as interesting as, as what you're describing there, so. Right. And, and, after, and after hearing you talk about those two games, Jeff, I really would be curious to hear what you had to say about Wave the Samurai. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, <seriously. laughs> yeah, definitely treading on a lot of, no, I wouldn't say similar territory, but there are definitely, you know, a lot of experimental type things going on. I smell on. a gaming exchange program coming on at some point in the future. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Quick break. When we come back, Jeffrey's going to talk about Spec Ops, and we're going to hear Brad's games. Stay with us. Now, Jeffrey, you've been playing a lot of Spec Ops as well, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so um, I know that Brad's already reviewed this for the site, um, but it's the idea behind it is this third-person military shooter um, You know, has that cover-shooting stop-and-pop gameplay that you know Gears of War and games like that use. So the, the concept behind it is it's, it's loosely based on Heart of Darkness and probably just as much based on Apocalypse Now, which, you know, is the... The 70s movie update of of Heart of Darkness, and the the concept is that you're you're part of this three person military squad who's sent to to Dubai in the not too distant future, and it's it's a much more fantastical setting than I expected because it it's Dubai after it's been ravaged by these just outlandish sandstorms, so there'll be like skyscrapers that are half buried or canyons that you know, with like skyscrapers in the middle of them. So it's already this very surreal and peculiar place to be in. And so you get there and, you know, you expect to just kind of like be the hero, just, you know, find, you know, civilians and kill the bad guys or whatever. But but the people that you're sent to, to rescue, like they're shooting at you and you don't know why. Um, sorry, I forget if I explain this but like this battalion went missing so you're you're there to find them and you know they're firing at you and there's like cia people there and you don't really know what's going on and that's you know that's part of the idea is that like war is supposed to be really confusing and um there's a lot of misinformation being spread around but basically the idea behind it is they really wanted to show a war um from various angles not so it's not just like you kill the bad guys and then everyone's free so, like, civilians, for example, have uh, have a role in it. And they're not in it a whole lot, but when you see them, like, they don't like you. They're not, like, happy that you're there. They're not <laughs> right. like, oh, you're our only hope. 
they're like mad at you because you know in all the crossfire with you know the people that you're fighting like you know you're fucking their city up even more than it already was so you know it's hard to go into without that without a whole lot of spoilers or anything but basically it it's one of those games where like it you know you enjoy the shooting stuff but then you know it tries to make you feel really guilty for that and it shows that like and I don't know it I feel like there's two different ways you could approach this. Some people could look at the game as being really hypocritical that, you know, the shooting elements are really fun and then it's just kind of this tacked on, oh, but war is bad. But I think that the game actually does such a good job at at portraying just how horrible war is. Um, yeah, I really want to talk about some of these scenes, but, but I won't. But, like, it... Like you know, you don't just find, like, dead people or never. Like, it really shows, like, just how fucked up and, like, how many innocent people die and this sort of thing and how hard it is on, you know, people who live in those territories. So, it... You know, it sounds a lot like this is the, the stuff that, like, films try to cover. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting whether or not, like, video games can... I don't want to see be film-like, but whether it can sort of match that ideology in some ways of you know trying to expose war and as, as well as you know there's a tradition of art i would say i guess you know right down to you know guernica from pablo picasso right that you know tries to ex- ex- expose the underbelly of war so i'm very curious to, to, to i don't know if you you're you're you can speak to this in terms of how well it compares to other media how other media tackles this subject you know in terms of what video games does right and i think that I think it's a step in the right direction, a, you know, bigger step than I thought. Cause I, I kind of, you know, a few people were highly recommended to me, but I'm still really skeptical. Cause there's been so many games that, that do that. Right. Where you're like having a good time. They're like, Oh, by the way, war is bad. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I feel like this game, you know, like it does it a lot better than most. And, you know, some of the reasons are hard to describe without spoilers. One thing I like about it is that it's very, very cognizant of the fact that that the shooting mechanics are fun like it, it kind of understands that you know shooters are supposed to be fun so there's kind of a lot of commentary on how first person shooter or not first it's a third person game but see how military shooters generally portray things and there is kind of a, a lot of like comparing that to the reality of the situation so I guess you could call it satirical, but it's not funny. It's just like it's commentary, commentary on like, right, yeah. yeah, yeah, like there's a lot of scenes where you do things that you ordinarily do in these sorts of games. Like, maybe I can give away like a, a not spoilery example, or not that spoilery, but there'll be like a part where you're in a helicopter and you have that that moment of like being really powerful, where you've got like this turret gun, you can just like rain down on everyone, and then you realize, you know, that's that's not what you should be doing. You know, like, you know, you should be, you know, that's not what soldiers are there to do is just blow shit up. Right. So, and, and one thing I really like about it, you know, without going into too much spoiler territory is that your character kind of goes insane throughout the course of the game. And you're, you're voiced by Nolan North who initially just sounds exactly like Nathan Drake. And I think that that's to the game's credit that you initially have this 
sense of like connection with him because you're so familiar familiar with that voice. So you're just like, okay, it's you know, it's Nathan Drake. He's just kind of this very affable. He's not jokey like Drake is uh, the main character, but you know, he still sounds like that, right? Mm -hmm. It's very like comforting. And throughout the course of the game, this character just gets like way more unhinged. And by the end, he's just like, you know, screaming fuck you at everyone and just, you know, brutally, you know, bashing people's skulls in. And he gets like, physically, he gets like way more messed up and he's just bloodied and burned. And and I really like sort of that, the journey that it takes you on, so to speak. So Brad, I'm curious. Brad, Brad I'm, really, yeah, I'm, re- I'm really curious to hear what Brad has to say about that, right? Oh, yeah, well, <clears throat> I totally hear what Jeff is saying, and, I, you know, this game is, is one of those where you either you fall in line and you really support it and you're really in favor of what it's doing. I'm, I'm kind of on the other side. It's like, I think that the developers had the right idea. Like, the, the things that Jeff mentioned about making the player question the nature of war and, you know, the status of, like, what am I supposed to feel as a player? What am I supposed to feel as this character? I mean, the questioning of that is really good, and the game has a few moments that I felt were really emotionally impactful. I mean, I can think of a couple, like two in particular, that I thought were really powerful um, in terms of what I felt as a person playing through this game. But on the other hand, um, I really think that they just completely fucked up and fumbled the ball big time when it came to the actual gameplay, because if they had actually done something to challenge the actual quality of the gameplay, I would have been more in favor of it. But they stick in the stock standard, you know, stop-and-pop, cover-based shooter action, and it's like... I mean, and and not to say anything against what Jeff said, but I've heard this echoed a million times where people kind of give the gameplay a pass. It's like this totally bog standard, really super boring, really repetitive, super gamey, bad guys streaming in from the same door off screen to stand in the same cover spot over and over and over. I mean, you you literally kill like a thousand dudes over the course of this game. And it's like, I, I can't reconcile the fact that they stuck this stupid ass boring video gamey gameplay in and then in every cutscene, it's like they expect you to feel something emotional, or they try to make you feel guilty about who you killed, or they try to show you the weight of what's going on. And as soon as you start to feel something, they put you back in the shitty gameplay, and then it just completely destroys the emotional buildup, and it like negates anything that you felt during those cutscenes. And you know, some people were trying to tell me that it was commentary, like, like the fact that this game is so gamey when you play is a commentary on war games. And I'm like, no, it's actually not. You just don't understand what's going on here. The developer didn't have any gameplay to put in there, so they put in the standard gameplay, and their only hook was in the cutscenes. And to me, it's like a total disconnect. Um, there, like, like I said, I mean, there's a couple points in the game where I actually genuinely felt something as a person, and I thought, wow, this is awesome. Like, they're really getting through to me. I don't like these kind of games, like, you know, these shooter games in general, but wow, this, this scene was powerful. And immediately, like, five seconds after I start to feel something... I'm killing, like, random faceless dudes, and I'm headshotting, and you don't have any choice about it, and it's just, it feels so arcadey, and so shooting gallery, and so boring, and so fucking, just so emotionally uh, dead, and so creatively bankrupt, like, I can't reconcile those two things for me. So, I feel like people are giving it more of a pass than it deserves, because they genuinely do try to do something interesting with the story, and it it has way more of a story than, than most shooter games have, and it's more of an interesting story. Um, I don't feel like it really succeeds, but I think that it's a great attempt, and I really liked the story. But the gameplay is such a complete clusterfuck of just, like, bad ideas and and mismatching the story concept. Like, it just... It blew itself out of the water. Like, I just don't even understand how they could have even let it get out. I mean, I would have much rather seen that game be, like, 
I mean, it took me like maybe, I don't know, like eight hours or six or seven hours to get through that. If that game had been like three hours long and had made an attempt to kind of change the actual nature of the gameplay to where where it actually mattered when you killed somebody. Like, rather than killing a thousand dudes shooting gallery style, if you killed 12 dudes over the course of three hours, and each time you killed them, like, it really had meaning to it. Like, you had to look those guys in the eye. You had to read their dog tags. You had to see that guy coughing up blood on the ground. That game would have fucking blown my mind, dude. That would have been easily in contender uh, contention for Game of the Year. But because they, they, they hamstrung themselves so much... And it just felt like such a poor fit to me. I, By the time I got to the end of the game, I was just kind of rolling my eyes because I was so sick of playing it. And yet I wanted to see how the story turned out. It just it was a shame to me. I, I think that game, good intentions, really, really poor performance, poor follow-through. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I I guess I, I fall more towards thinking that the, the mechanics are commentary and maybe... But you how know, though? Like, explain that to me because I I, just, I don't see that even. Well, so how do you the see the same it? way that like you know casting Nolan North as the main guy is? I think it's sort of like easing you in to to expect something like really ordinary, and then like at every turn it it shows like how that does not equate with with what war is. At the same time, that could just be you know an excuse too because like if they're ta- if they have like such an unconventional design, then you know. I'm, off the top of my head, I'm having a hard time even like thinking how they could have done something like that. But, but I don't think that like it. I, I do agree with you that it could have been shorter, particularly after just talking about two games that were you know under 15 minutes, right? <laughs> like after you know playing game, and we're going to talk about another game soon that's you know about three hours long. So yeah, I, I agree that the game could have been like half the length. Um, but. And I mean, as a shooting game, it's okay. It's nothing exceptional. It's not bad, though, either. It's Brad, would you say... Jump it up. Sorry, oh, Chico. Go no, Richard, go ahead, go ahead, go I, I was going to ask, um, when you guys were talking about this being a commentary and how, like, the developers were, like, they were trying, they were using this, this stuff to try and, like, say something about, you know, military and war shooter video games, did that, did the developers actually say that? Like, is it, did they say that they design these mechanics around you know it being sort of a, a metaphor for like you know the games industry or the military games industry in general or is that something that's just been kind of inferred from like people that have played it i don't um, know if they actually said that about like the mechanics but they have said about like the the philosophy of the game is that they really wanted people to think about you know what they're doing when they play war games yeah they gave a couple interviews where they talked about the cutscenes and the story but i think that when you talk about the actual gameplay which is what i'm getting hung up on i mean i think they did a good job on everything but the gameplay i think that's really what people are just kind of inferring or they're kind of looking to kind of like explain it away and i think that they're kind of giving it way more credit in terms of gameplay than it deserves but yeah the developers i i mean if they have i haven't seen it but i haven't seen them actually say we specifically had you kill a thousand dudes because i've never seen a comment like that so Chi, you had a, another question, right, or comment? Yeah, yeah, a couple of them. First, uh, Brad, I mean, would you would you at least say that the the shooting the shooter mechanic is serviceable? Or would oh yeah, you say it's, it's totally solid. I mean, the the shooter mechanic handles fine. It's very comparable to anything in the genre. I mean, it handles well, it controls well. You pick up the game, and within three seconds, like you know exactly what you're doing. It's very familiar mechanically, but to me, it's like you took these giant risks with the gameplay, totally trying something new. And yet, when I actually play the game, I'm playing the same old fucking boring-ass shooter that I played a thousand times. 
doesn't make any sense to me at all. But in terms of mechanical production, production values are good, controls well. I mean, Jeff, did you think it was mechanically fine? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like as good as say like Vanquish or Binary Domain, but it's still really good. Like it's yeah, still, it's totally it's smooth. Still, it plays well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's better than a lot of like I played worse third-person shooters. It's way sure. more fun than than any third-person shooting you get in like open-world games like you know Red Dead or GTA or things like that. It's you know it's a pretty decent shooter. Yeah, yeah so there's no technical flaw. To right, me, it's like right. a conceptual fail. But yeah, technically it's fine. Yeah, so not that I'm apologizing for them, but it sounds like that's why maybe people are giving it more of a pass on the gameplay because it's not terrible gameplay per se, and they're just choosing to focus on you know that con- you know the conceptual part, right? That's what it sounds like is going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably, I mean, it's, I mean, I can't fault the mechanics, but I mean, playing this game to me felt like. Someone saying you shouldn't punch people, and then they punch you in the fucking face, <laughs> and then they say, "No, no, really, no, I, you shouldn't punch people," and then they punch you in the fucking face, and right, then they, right. you know, they just—it's like that circle of like you're telling me one thing, but the thing I'm doing is completely different, and I don't see any connection between those. Like I don't ever see anything that justifies why you're making me do this because it doesn't connect. I mean, there's a few messages in like the loading screens. That are supposed to like you know quote unquote to get you to think about what you're doing, but you don't ever have a choice. And if you don't have a choice, uh, you don't have an agency in that aspect. And it just to me just it doesn't work, man. It's just, it's, there's anyway. there's no follow through. It's not like, it's like it doesn't really believe in its own philosophy. Then exactly. Right? Like I just I I don't get it. I know a lot of people out there get it. A lot of people are making a really strong case for it. Personally, I don't see it. And and the comment actually I had was which is interesting because you know Jeff you went from one spectrum to the other in terms of like these you know eight minute fifteen minute games versus these you know ten hour twelve you know twelve hour triple uh, A mainstream um, games that we're more used to and it sounds to me like there we can't find that balance right now between sort of these highly conceptual games versus what the more mainstream shooting type you know. Uh, action shooter type games you know and then and then somewhere in between it'd be nice for a game to be conceptual but yet still have some solid gameplay but not be a complete slave to the conventions which i feel like gta this is like you know textbook gta they've got all these great ideas all these high concepts high art all that yada yada and then they always sort of just try to retrofit it into the most standard video game template that they they can think of you know (laughs) you know so exactly You know, do you guys that, remember, um, what was yeah. that game that got canceled? I think it was called, what, Six Days Six in Fallujah? Six Days in Fallujah. Yeah, like, I was really hoping this game was was going to turn out like that, where in, in that game, apparently, I mean, you know, granted it was never released, but they were talking about, you're gonna, it's going to be like almost like a horror game in the fact that you're scared for your life all the time. When you kill somebody, it's like a big deal. It's going to be really psychologically damaging and to kind of portray the horror of war. And it's like, I feel like, I feel like um, Spec Ops went halfway. Like, I feel like the cutscenes kind of were reaching for that. But like you said, she, like, they kind of fell back to the standard shooter template and kind of just were like, here, just go and play, and it's fine. It's like that sweet spot feel might be more like five to eight hours and have, like, some innovative gameplay, and that's not so boring. And I don't know, the only thing that even maybe remotely sounds like that, and maybe, Richard, you can jump in here, but Amnesia, maybe? <laughs> I, I was actually, actually going to say Amnesia is... Yeah. Something that I think fits that description. Yeah. Um, because like everything, or well, almost everything you do in that game has some psychological weight to it. Like there's also this, because I mean, at its heart, amnesia is like if you strip away like the layers of like illusion and stuff, it's kind of a puzzled game in that you get through the castle by just like, you know, there are these rooms and you have to like, you know, get switches or like mechanisms or stuff to work so you can go on to the next room. And it's just this really basic puzzle structure sort of put 
on top, like with uh, this really great, like psychological horror thing, like put on top of it. So, I mean, I think that, I mean, at least based on the description, like I, I've got the demo for Spec Ops, but I haven't played it yet. But at least based on the description that I'm hearing from uh, from both of you, that seems to be kind of what they were going for, but they just didn't really pull it off as well as they could. Um, well, I don't know that they were necessarily go, trying to make the the mechanics like that interesting. And I think it would be great if a game does that, but I don't think that that was like a goal. It almost feels like maybe they... Very well, intentional, like, yeah, very intentional, right? Like, they yeah, just said, like, like we're going to make the standard, we're going to follow that template, we're not going to do anything different to save money or whatever, and we're going to focus on this side of it, <laughs> just suck it up and, and you know, or, or they had two different teams, one working on one side and then the other one working on the other, <laughs> you know? I feel like the two actually do go together better than that, and, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I think that what you're describing would be a really amazing game if it, you know, had, you know, 12 people that you kill, but I feel like it... Right, right. At, at the very least, I feel that Spec Ops was very cognizant of this failure. It kind of reminds me of a. There was an essay that um, you know, a friend of me and Brad's, uh, Matthew Burns, wrote about how you know there's a, he was a producer on Halo, and he's talking about how you know there's lots of really smart, talented, creative people who work on like all these AAA shooters, and they'd like to do something really innovative too. But it's like, how do you tell a you know, how do you tell a really interesting story when your game design is kill, is, you know, run through a level killing 100 guys? Right. And, you know, Brad's suggesting, which I, I agree would be awesome, is if they just didn't use that template at all. But I feel that this is sort of a game that's like, if we're going to use this template, how can we do that in a way that's, like, aware of that? Does that make sense? It's sort of like, it's very... Yeah, like I mean, I, 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 I hear what you're saying, saying. yeah makes sense i mean i doesn't make it less of a fail i mean i appreciate they tried but for me yeah i mean you know i don't know i i, I definitely see what you're saying though the, the only other game you know we, obviously we're running longer so i don't want to talk about it too long but the only other game i wanted to name check that maybe comes close is the the recent walking dead games but the only thing i would discount about that is, is as i suggested is that it it's more on the definitely more on the shorter side and not like for any kind of action hungry fans you're not going to get your fix by killing those one or two zombies that you have to kill throughout the game, but it's the it's the only thing I can even remotely think of it. But at least it makes you feel the impact. You may only kill you know two to three zombies or or people per game, but at least every single one of those kills feel very significant. Everything you do in that game is significant. Like right. they did a great right. job. Yeah, um, yeah well, Walking Dead. It's that it had like really you know as you mentioned it had like really experimental kind of interesting gameplay too. Yeah. That so that's Spec Ops. Jeffrey, you've been playing. Uh, I'm gonna butcher this name. Botanicula. Oh yeah, yeah. Botanicula. Botanicula. Did uh, you want to talk I, about that? I know Richard has too, right? Yeah, I, I was actually pronouncing it pronouncing it Botanicula. I don't know if that's correct or not. Oh, but... actually, that that makes uh, yeah, bot yeah, because it's botany. Um, I, that. Oh, it's about botany. <laughs> That's what yeah. I love about podcasts. You actually have to say things that you sometimes just say <laughs> in, your, in your head. <laughs> you know, I, I, you, sometimes I'll have to like look up people's names because I'm like, wait a second, this is like the first time I'm gonna have to say this publicly. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so tell us about this game. Um, yeah, it's a it's a point and click adventure, and it, um, to, to an extent, it doesn't really have much of an inventory though. So it, it's by. Um, Amanita, you know, speaking of not knowing how to pronounce things on a podcast. Um, I, I've always said it Amanita. So <laughs> I think that's correct. You just, say just tomato, it in, I say tomato. Yeah, just rub Amanita, it in, make them feel Amanita. bad. 
uh, <laughs> you know, design. It's, it's the team that made Machinarium. Mm-hmm. Machinarium? Wow, we can't pronounce anything. <laughs> Machinarium. <laughs> um, yes, it's by that team. And, you know, I actually still haven't played Machinarium. It, it's been on my list of games I've wanted to play like for ages, and now it's going to PSN next month, so I'm just going to have to play that version. But So, uh, Botanikiwa, it, it, it stars like a this little group of like five cute little insects. And you basically, like it starts with this, I don't know, this dark thing. I don't know what to call it. Some kind of like monster that's basically you're, like- You're actually kind of, you're actually kind of, I mean, I mean, the way you're talking about it is actually kind of segging into my, or segueing into like my biggest problem with the game. But I mean, I'll, I'll talk about that when you're done. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the plot's very vague. It's like, this monster has come to, you know, this, like, tree or meadow or this, you know, landscape where all these insects live and it's starting to, like, poison things and you know, make the trees fall off and stuff. So you kind of have to, yeah, you're just these insects and you have to go around. And the way that the game operates is it, you know, as I alluded to earlier, there's very little inventory. You kind of just, initially you're just kind of clicking on things until something happens. You just kind of, like, click on critters and you know, find hot spots in the, in, the scenery, in the scenery to interact with. And initially, I didn't really like that because I'm, you know, more of a veteran of, like, not necessarily inventory puzzles, but puzzles that have a more clearly defined logic, and it felt a little bit too pixel-hunty or, like, hidden object-y at first. But as I, as I got through it, I kind of started to appreciate that because it... It kind of threw, threw me for a curveball. Like some of the puzzles later are a little bit more, you know, logic heavy, and then some of them like aren't logic heavy at all. But because I'm so used to that, like I'm trying to find patterns and stuff when really the solution is more simple than I'm letting on. So I kind of liked that it, it it really mixed up, like what you're supposed to be doing. So it it felt interesting that way. But anyway, the thing that really makes it it stand out is it just has this really amazing art style. It's kind of, I think it might be like hand painted. I don't know what, what they did, like how it was actually crafted, but it's really cute. And the animations are constantly really surprising and funny. Like there's one part where you, you go into like a little hut and there's a, a bug who, who wants to play ping pong. And he like imagines like a, a duplicate version of him, like a ghost version of him to play ping pong with. So you can send like one of your guys to like play ping pong. You don't have direct control over them. You just, you just select which one wants to play with him. And like, or I mean, there are several examples of things like this where you can send each character to, to fulfill a task. And like each, there'll be a really funny cartoony animation for, for each one that you send. So, um, you know, it's, I just think it's one of the most charming games I've played in a long time. You know, it's not like, I mean, the design's kind of experimental on how it deals with puzzles, but it's mostly just about like tinkering around in this environment. It kind of reminds me of, uh, yeah, I mean, it's basically kind of like a a point and click adventure that doesn't that like anyone can play. You know, you don't. There's like no words or 
yeah, there's no talking, no words. It's all just like symbols and, you know, cute sounds and funny things happening. So anyway, I'm curious, uh, Richard, what, what were you going to say about it? Um, well, first thing I want to say is that uh, Machinarium, the, uh, the the first game that Amanita did, is actually fantastic. Um, it's one of the best point-and-click adventure games that I have ever played. And if, if you like that art style, if you like that uh, the way they do the animations, then I, I definitely uh, recommend picking it up and playing it. Um, that said, I really did not like Botanicula at all. And primarily because... This game is totally nonsensical in just about every way, shape, or form. At least I thought it was. Um, just because, the, like, it's like you were saying at the beginning with the plots. Like, basically, you're in this giant tree in like this forest area, and you play as like these insects, and then something like an alien or something lands on the tree and starts poisoning everything, and you have to like stop the alien from poisoning stuff. I think I don't exactly know what it is, but. It, None of the puzzles, and there's no logic to any of the puzzles in this game, at least not very much. Um, whereas in Machinarium, like the puzzles, like the solutions to the puzzles actually made sense for the most part. It's like I can look at a room, I can look at my inventory. It's like, okay, I need to use this on this and make it do this. Whereas in this game, I was just like clicking on random stuff trying to get it to work. And it's like eventually, if I just clicked enough times, it would, I would you know, break the code or whatever and get it to do whatever it was supposed to do. But it's just, I mean, I just did not find that fun at all. Like it just, it lacked a lot of like the, the, the subtle charm that Machinarium had. Like, I mean, it's a very pretty game, but I mean, there's just no sense or rhyme or reason to this world at all. And I just, I, I don't know. I just, I just immensely disliked it. Is that the same experience you had, Jeffrey? I think they could have done a better job highlighting what you can click on. That was my biggest issue with it. And sometimes mm-hmm. even which direction you could go, you have to like hover the mouse um, in the right spot. So like the arrow will show up dictating the, there was like a screen to the left. Um, I, you know, I, I, I probably, I have to play Machinarian, but I have a feeling that in terms of design, I'd probably like that more, but I, I don't know. I, did any of you play Sword and Sorcery? I haven't, no. I have not. Uh, okay, because it's kind of like that. Initially, I didn't like Sword and Sorcery either for the same reason, that a lot of its puzzles are kind of like, you just have to click on stuff. And and I, I, I kind of like, though, that there's a... You know, initially, you're just like clicking on everything until something happens, but sometimes you have to... to um, click on things, like, do something a little bit different. Like, I remember the first time that I had to solve a puzzle where I realized that I had to, like, nudge something with my mouse, that it wasn't based on, like, clicking on it, but just, like, actually moving the cursor. Mm-hmm. Or there was, like, another point where I had to, like, pull something out of, uh, like, pull a mushroom or something out, and I had to, like, click on it and actually pull. So, to some extent, the interface kind of is the puzzle, and I think it walks a very fine line between it at some points just being too vague and other times being kind of neat when you, like, inadvertently solving. You're like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I could pull those out. Or I didn't know that, like, the way that I move my mouse has an effect here. So, or, you know, there were some cases where I was, like, you know, trying to hit things in a certain order, and that wasn't it at all. There was actually something much simpler. So, you know, I, I guess it was kind of, 
mixed on that. I have this feeling, I, I love for somebody to test this, but I have a feeling that like kids would actually be better at this game than adults. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would, I would believe that actually. Like just some kid, like just randomly clicking on stuff and then eventually getting it to work. I, I could see that. Well, I remember I, I spoke to Ron Gilbert once. Um, it's an interview that it's not up yet, so I don't want to give away like everything that he talked about. But he he mentioned that you know after the Monkey Island games, he he started this company called Humongous Entertainment, and one of the the reasons for that is that he he had like little kids play Monkey Island and they didn't know how to read yet, so they were just kind of clicking on stuff, but they still enjoyed it. So he kind of wanted to make adventure games that didn't require knowing how to read or you know didn't require that same type of logic. So this feels very much sort of in that vein. I, I can totally see that happening. You know, as a, as the father of a young child myself, um, you know, Whitaker plays a lot of iOS games, and he doesn't know how to read. I mean, he's only three, and so watching him experiment with games i mean he doesn't know like all the background stuff that we have picked up over the years as gamers and so he'll do something totally random and i'm like you know my first instinct is like why are you doing that you're not supposed to do that you're supposed to do this but he doesn't know right and so he just kind of like discovers his way through most of these games and he gets like really good at them eventually but like his total process of like assimilating and learning and his lack of questioning certain things is totally different than mine is and it's kind of fascinating to kind of watch his process i mean i can totally see what you guys are saying about Botanicula maybe being more appropriate for someone who maybe comes to it with like a, a cleaner slate maybe. Yeah, I mean it's totally like appropriate for kids like that. And as it goes, there are some puzzles later that are a little bit more logic based, and there are a few that actually made me you know think for quite a while. But yeah, I mean I highly recommend it for a kid like that. You know, play it over his shoulder if he has you know a lot of trouble with some of it. I'm curious, Richard, how far did you get in it? Uh, I got about I want to say an hour. And or so maybe a little bit like an hour and 10 minutes or so okay because it gets better though like as far as what you're saying about the world not making sense it that was something that i, I would appreciate more it's like as i got further into it um I'm trying to how to, like there's this one part of this really cool where there's a this big blob creature and this is pretty late into the game, but it's such a minor example. I don't think it's too spoilery. There's this big blob thing, and he wants you to give him what looks like an like a big eye, like a circle, you know, dot in the middle of it. And you know, after solving a couple other puzzles, I was able to get that eye. And I brought it back to him. And I figured he would just like give me something in return. But instead, like he opened up this little hatch on the the top of his head, and we all jumped inside him. And it turns out that he's a submarine, and you like go, you know, you go down below and there's, like, water, the subterranean layer. So it's kind of like a game where it's just constantly surprising you in, like, lots of little ways like that. And I feel like it's almost to its credit that you that you don't necessarily know what's happening. I don't understand what you're talking about in terms of, like, the puzzle design being too vague in some capacities, but, like, I feel like the world was kind of cohesive in its silliness. That make, so that's uh, Botanicula, or Botanicula, one of the two. That's out now. Is that, that's, uh, is, did you say that's, that's computer? Yeah, it's a PC game. I think it's on Mac. I'm not sure, but yeah. yeah I, th- I, th- I think game. it is on Mac as well. Okay, so that's available now. And Brad, you have – I know I got an email request to play Card Combat with you at some point last week, so I know you've been playing that. I have, I have and I wanted to 
apologize to everybody who I sent a, a game invite <laughs> to. And okay, so to start off, playing card combat, and it's card with a K. So there's like a little, you know, kind of vague essence of Mortal Kombat about it. Um, but what it is, it's like it's like a it's almost like a CCG collectible card game, except that there's a very small number of total cards, and you don't have to pay a bunch of money in in-app purchases to buy them. It's playing on my iPhone, and it's a great fit for the iPhone. Its rules are extremely simple. The game is constantly reminding you of the rules in a very non-obtrusive way that helps you along, so you don't have to remember anything really arcane and complex. Uh, the the UI is beautiful, like it's super simple, very clean. It's just to me, it's a, it's an awesome fit for the iPhone. And because I like games like Magic the Gathering and and those type of things, I, I this is one that I really clicked with immediately. Like it was user friendly and simple enough to where I liked playing it on my iPhone, and I didn't have to like really squint to see tiny little details. There wasn't like a million lines of text to read, and it just it seemed very cognizant of the the platform that it was on, and it really took good advantage of of the system. You know, a couple taps here, a couple taps there. Very easy to play, and I really liked it a lot. So getting back to the invite, uh, in that game there are three cards, and they're pretty good cards, which are locked unless you invite people. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to play this game. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to play the spam my friends game. I'm just going to just ignore that these cards exist, and I'm just going to play with what I got. But, you know, to be honest, I really enjoyed the game so much. And this is one of the few games when I really, really got into the multiplayer. I had like five or six matches going at once with other people. And it was really just so exciting. I'm like, damn, I really, I kind of want those cards, man. Okay, so <laughs> so who can I email that's not going to be mad at me if I spam them with <laughs> these invites? And so I think I, I emailed everybody at Game Critics with this generic like, hi, I'm really enjoying card combat. Please join me in a game. Click here. And I'm like, oh, God, this is so cheesy. <laughs> I'm not going to hear about this. But um, I think I emailed totally, like, altogether, like, 35 people. And <laughs> I got all my cards unlocked. So nice. if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're one of the random people I emailed, please forgive me. But it is a really cool game. And he got the cards. That's the important I, thing. I got the cards. And the great thing is, is that there's not a lot of cards. I really like it because you feel like you can really master it. You can remember all the cards. The interplay really works together. It's it's like a very, very small, scaled-down Magic the Gathering, but perfectly fit for the iPhone. Card combat. I would love it if more people would play this. I think I've burned out all of my partners. Um, so if you're listening to this and you want to play me on card combat, please do. I am always up for a game of card combat. So thumbs up to that. By any chance, did any of you guys take my invite and, and test it out? I don't have an iPhone or I would have or an iOS device because I'm all I, about CCGs. I, I did not. I, did, I didn't get your invite, actually. Yeah, I I, I'm sure I sent you one. Maybe it got caught in your spam folder. It might have gotten spam. Probably, probably. I did, I did get the invite, Brad, and when I saw it, I was like, this is very Brad, so I didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it, it seemed like it was, something, it was like a game that was right up your alley, so I totally understood. I did not uh, click on the link, though. I mean, I'm not a typical CCG guy, but you're making a pretty good sell here. If it's on iPad, what is it? Is it a free game or... Free to play um, or what's the I deal exactly again? It I, I uh, okay don't quote me on this but I think it's free to play but the the, the hook to it is is there's like eight or, eight or ten different characters like one guy's like the demon mage and one guy's like the arcane mage and there's like the mechanical mage so if you, it lets you play as much as you want but you don't save your progress if you want to save your progress you have to buy one of the characters and I think they're like ninety nine cents each or it's like ten bucks to unlock like every single thing in the whole game. And I, I wasn't sure if I was going to like it at first, so I just bought one character. 
And then as soon as I got into it, I just paid up for the whole thing because I really enjoyed all the different characters. Do you have and to buy buy each character every time you want to save your progress with that particular no, character? No, no, no. Like, okay. Well, no, well, okay. So let me let me explain like the the genius of this. So like you pick one character and then you play the single player mode to unlock all of the cards. So you actually kind of level your guy up a little bit. You can get like um, these extra cards. You get little uh, increased life. And so when you're playing multiplayer with people, you can immediately tell who's already been through the single player and who hasn't because the people who have completed the single player are in a much better starting position. So it gives you like uh, you know encouragement to go through the single player. You only really need one character. Uh, you don't need any more than that. But if you want to try different mixes of cards, um, it, you can buy as many as you like. I mean, I have, I think, uh, well, all of them now, but I started with two. And the, the beauty of this game is it's so simple and so straightforward that out of all the, the cards that you can have, everybody shares five-sixths of the same card. So everybody's deck, five-sixths of everybody's deck is common cards that everybody has. And that last one-sixth is specific to your kind of mage. So, like, I like to play the demon mage most, and so he's got a lot of cards that, like, resurrect themselves, a lot of, like, straight destruction spells. So I'll have just those, and nobody else has those unless they're playing a demon mage, too. Okay. But the other five, six of my library is common. So there's a lot of like little peon creatures, a lot of generic spells that everybody can do back and forth. And so you don't ever really feel like you're at a real huge disadvantage. I mean, you can pick basically anybody and be competitive with anybody else. Like this is not one of those games where, like like Magic, where if you have the bigger bank account, you're going to win because you can afford all the super high-end cards. This is a very even playing field. I mean, I think all you really need to compete proficiently is 99 cents to pay for one mage so that you can save the progress that you earn in the single player mode and that's really all i mean really low buy-in really low buy-in you can spam your friends like i did to get those three extra cards <laughs> which are actually really good uh, but other than that it's like really easy and really straightforward and i would say if you if you've been put off by games like magic where you're afraid of like all the cards you can't remember them and you don't want it to suck your life away you don't want to spend a thousand dollars building your library this is the game like it has the same fundamental hooks the same fundamental gameplay, but super stripped down in a good way, a simplified way, easy to learn, pick up, and it's a great fit for on the go. It's on iPad. It's also on iPhone. I don't think it's on Android, but it's it's on all of the iOS devices, did, and I would say give it a shot. Did you say how many total cards there are? I, I might have missed it. It's something like, uh, I want to say it's like 120 maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, I mean, if you don't know about CCGs, that's really small. Yeah. That's a really small card set. <laughs> so it's very approachable. And the thing that's awesome about it is you have uh, multiplayer modes uh, that you can do either asynchronous um, with a three-day time limit or as- asynchronous with a three-minute time limit. So if you've got somebody on the line and you want to play back and forth, it is set up to let you go back and forth really quickly like a game of Magic would be. But if, like me, like you're at work, you're in bed, you know, you want to play it, but you can't just sit there and be glued to your iPhone... You know, you can send it off, and your partner's got, like, three days to turn their turn in, and that works out great. I mean, I've had people, you know, get back to me, like, once every eight hours, once every four hours, once every day. And it's just – it's really, you know, low intensity. It's really fun, and there's not a lot of pressure. Like, you don't feel like you got to keep checking your phone all the time. And so, to me, it's like a total win. It's, like, easily one of my favorite games on iPhone, like, altogether. Nice. That is Card Combat with a K in a K. (laughs) Card Actually, at the second, it's K A R D C O M B A T. I guess they couldn't afford the second K or something. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Um, Risen two. Risen two. Okay, so oh, this is a really tough one. Uh, Risen 
which came out, I think, two years ago, uh, was one of my favorite RPGs of that year. It's a European RPG where you kind of there's there's so much to talk about, but the thing with Risen is like you kind of set your own course. You, it's kind of open worldish, but the land is very small, and so you can kind of ally yourself with different factions, lots of different ways to complete the quests. You really had to use your brain a lot. And Risen 2 continues all those traditions, except this time uh, they throw in a huge dose of pirates. And pirates are pretty cool. I don't really know very many people who don't like pirates. So if you like the idea of an open world-ish, kind of choose-your-own-course, pirate-themed, got-your-own-ship-and-crew kind of RPG with a European twist, as a mouthful, this is the game to play. That sounds amazing. It's Okay, it is. You know, it is, but it's also awful. Oh, no. It's amazing and it's awful. And I'm actually in the middle of writing the review right now. And I got to say, writing this review is one of the most difficult reviews I've written all year because when the game does what it does well and pulls it off, like it's awesome. Like it's really brilliant and it makes a lot of other RPGs look really stupid. And I appreciate that intelligence plays a large factor. For example, uh, when you go into a town and you talk to some people, they'll say, well, I need you to get XYZ done for me. But it's not it's not as simple as like, walk to this spot on the map and kill the creatures there and come back. I mean, a lot of times it's like, talk to some people and see what they think. And then, uh, okay, well, this guy's got this item in his house, but you can't go into his house because if you go in, he kicks you right out. And, um, you know, like at nighttime, he sleeps in this one room. So should I sneak in? Should I get my trained monkey to sneak in the window and steal it for me? Should I uh, try to barter with this guy? I mean, there's like multiple solutions to a lot of the, the puzzles. And it really it asks you as a player to think like all these puzzles and quests can be solved multiple ways. And you got to just see what works best for you. You can train a monkey. You can, yes, big, big, big selling. point. That's a big plus. Yeah. And he steals stuff for you. Like you go to a place and he, you just like go in this house and steal stuff and he'll just jump in through the window and he steals shit. And he comes back out. Monkey thief kicks ass. Like that's, <laughs> that's really cool. Amazing. So it's, it's great. And because you can choose your skills and stuff, there's a lot of freedom and the dialogue is, like, super, super smart, super witty. Like, it's funny. It's consistently really funny. But it's not, like, dumb gag funny. Like, it's like we're witty. We're really sarcastic. The main character has a lot of quips that he has with, with these various people and these various factions. Like, it's really entertaining. This is one of the only games where I actually sit there and let the conversations play out in real time because I just enjoy the voices are really good. I mean, it's just there's a lot to really like about this game. And it's it, I've I've made it sound really awesome so far, but the downside to this game is that it's such a grand design that I feel like the developers are consistently reaching just a little too far, like they're they're striving just a little too hard for what they're going for, and sometimes they don't quite pull it off. Um, the biggest complaint I would have about this game so far, uh, well, number one, I think most people are going to think it looks really ass ugly, like the graphics are not bleeding edge graphics, they look pretty crude compared to a lot of what's out there now um it runs not the best it kind of chugs at times um you know there's lots of little rough edges and stuff like that that stuff doesn't bother me so much but just heads up it's it's not the most beautiful game out there but the thing that is a bigger problem is that you can allocate skills however you want and so it's kind of like you know um skyrim or something like that where you can uh you know i want to be a better sword fighter so you put all your skills in swords and stuff like that but i don't think that developers were really quite successful in making sure that all player builds could complete the game um, equally. Uh, for example, I started off trying to roleplay as like a like a, a lawful good pirate where I don't steal unless I absolutely have to and I respect people and, you know, I, I 
tip my hat to the ladies when they walk by and that kind of thing. But to be frank, the game is completely set up uh, with pickpocketing and lockpicking being the two most important skills out of everything. And because I didn't focus on those, because I felt like those were kind of the dirty, underhanded skills, I kept hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And, you know, I could I could get past them when I could progress in the game, but I felt like I was working way overtime because the game wasn't really that accommodating to a straight-up combat build. Um, and as, as an extreme example, there was one point at which I was actually ready to quit because um, I was a hair away from not being able to progress. Like, I had gotten myself in this situation where I didn't have the pickpocketing skill that I needed to get this key. I didn't have the voodoo skill that I needed to brainwash the guy who had the key. I had already done a different quest um, that was given to me to where I had destroyed uh, this one thing that I needed. And so, like, out of the three or four different ways to solve the quest, I couldn't do any of them. And I literally thought, like, my game was stuck and I was going to have to trash 12 hours of progress. Mm -hmm. Um, Fortunately... I, I talked to the PR rep, and I did some online consultations with the people at GameFAQs, and I was asking some other people who had played it, and I got myself out of that hole by selling every single item that I had, and I traveled to this different thing, and I, you know, what, long story short, I did get myself out of the hole, but it was, it was almost a complete dead end, and that shouldn't have ever happened. Right. So, it's like I want to celebrate the game for what it does right, but to be perfectly honest, like there's a lot that. Is, is reaching too much and it's not as polished and it's not as foolproof as it needs to be. So even as someone who really likes games that are rough and creative, like I, I embrace those games. I don't I don't need the cutting edge graphics. I don't need the bells and whistles. If the idea is solid, like I'm down and I can power through a lot of roughness. And even though there's a lot to celebrate with this game, there's a lot that is really giving me pause. Um, so I'm about maybe 15 or 16 hours into it and I think it's about a 30 hour game. And at this point, I'm I'm hitting so many roadblocks, I'm almost convinced I need to just scrap my current game, go back to the start, and respec completely differently. So I'm not really super happy about that. Um, but but it's a good enough game to you that you're willing that you're thinking about totally yeah, restarting. Yeah, dude. And that's the thing. Like, if this was any other game, I'd be like, fuck you, right. fuck you, developers, fuck this game, fuck this, I'm out of here, I'm done. But this is it's a game that I enjoy so much, and there is so much to like about it that I am actually considering just blowing off the 15 hours of progress and starting fresh. And that's that's not something I take lightly, man. My free time is so limited these days. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a huge commitment for me. So I haven't quite deleted my save file and started over, but I'm leaning that way heavily. So I don't know. Does anybody have any questions about this game? Yeah, Brad, I just a quick question. Would you say the first Risen was also a similar mixed bag? Because I recall I, I picked up Risen 1 based on your recommendation and when when i told you that you almost sort of apologized for that <laughs> which confused me because i was like i thought you know i read your review and it sounded great and then i don't know why you sort of i was just confused at the time i don't think we ever really talked about it but huh i don't remember apologizing i mean I, I, that sounds like something i would do i definitely believe you i'm sure i probably did but this is one of those games it's almost like a way of the samurai kind of thing although not quite as extreme as that but mm-hmm. it's very similar and i think that the structure between risen one and risen two Again, very similar. Like, it's an open world-ish. You kind of choose your skills, choose the faction you align with, do quests your own way, multiple ways for each quest. But I think I think that in Risen 2, um, they went too far in overvaluing pickpocketing and lockpicking. 
Whereas in Risen 1, like, it was more about, like, do I want to be a magic user or do I want to be a sword user? Like, you, you could go either way and you could, you know, you know, some ways were easier than others, but you had a, a fair chance at success no matter what you picked. It was just kind of up to your preference. But in this one, I really do feel like with money being as tight as it is and with the combat being as difficult as it is and with the skills being overpowered, it really it, it upsets the balance that I think Risen 1 had. So I'm having a much more difficult time. Uh, getting through Risen 2. But if, I mean, if, if what I've said sounds good, even remotely, definitely pick up Risen 1 and play through it. I mean, I thought that game was awesome. Like, it was really okay. good. I mean, just, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's ironic that in the second game, you're only a pirate this time, and they're having more difficulty with the, the multiple <laughs> branches when they're, you're narrowing it, supposed to narrow it down, supposedly, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's I never would have predicted, because in the first game, you had, like, Thief, Warrior, and Mage, and there was like I think at least three factions, and that I mean I felt I got through that no problem at all. And now I'm just like oh, I'm beating my head against a rock. Like I keep having all these problems. So it's I don't know maybe a little mis miscalculation on the part of the developers. But man, a grand effort. I mean I respect the hell out of these guys. I just you know they need like a bigger budget and like a hundred more people or something. So I think I'm gonna look into that. That sounds good even with the problems. <laughs> so I'm gonna. It is on. it is good. But yeah, anybody listening to this, you know. Pickpocketing and lockpicking. Put all your skills into that, and you'll you'll do just fine. You will have a good time. All right, fair enough. And you've been playing Papo and Yo. I have, and so I have. is Jeffrey, I believe. So. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing from Jeff on this one. Um, Papo and Yo recently released PSN only uh, from a South American developer. I don't know which country, Actually, but Montreal. Say what? Uh, they're in Montreal. The the creator is from South. South America. Yeah, yeah, the director is from South America, right? Yeah, the, the actual studio is in Montreal. Okay, so that was that was the South American connection there. I stand <laughs> corrected. Um, but this game is basically, and the developer has uh, been very outspoken prior to the release of this game. What this is about is uh, the director talking about his relationship with an alcoholic father and turning that life experience into a game for people to play through. So the player takes on the role of a little boy who escapes real life into this fantasy world, and his father is represented in this fantasy world as a giant monster. Um, at first, he's kind of like friendly or indifferent, but once the monster eats a frog, which is, you know, quote-unquote, the alcohol, he turns evil and he chases the player, and so it's kind of this back and forth uh, depicting the relationship that the developer had with his his actual family. Um, for me, and it's a shorter game, it's a shorter game. It's like, I think, maybe three, four hours long total. Uh, and the actual gameplay consists of the player solving a lot of environmental puzzles. Um, I like this game a lot. I really did. It's a very, very experimental title. Um, I've heard a lot of people kind of grousing about it as saying it's it's too simple, it's too short, the puzzles aren't that hard. And to that I say, yes, that's very true, but I don't think the real point of this game is to be a head-scratching puzzle game. This isn't like another portal or something. I mean... The, the developers couldn't have been more clear that this is like an emotional game. It's a game about the message. It's a game about this guy's experience. It just happens to be a game. And that's that's really the, the thing you need to pay attention to. And for people to kind of get upset that the puzzles weren't hard enough or that there wasn't enough like depth or there wasn't like combat to it, I'm like, you're kind of missing the point. Um, so, you know, full disclosure, my father was an alcoholic. Uh, I grew up in an alcoholic family. Um, I don't have a relationship with him anymore because the relationship was terrible. And so playing through this game really resonated with me personally on a number of levels. Um, the gameplay itself, in terms of the puzzles, I thought didn't really connect with the concept 
very well, but it's over so soon. I mean, it's like three hours. I mean, it's not like I really got upset about sitting through three hours of something. And when it got to the end, I certainly don't want to spoil the ending for anybody, but I thought the end was so brave and so honest and so raw. Like, it just, it totally clicked with me. It totally made sense to me as a person. It totally made sense to me as someone who had an alcoholic father. And it just, it spoke to me on a number of levels. And even though this game is far from perfect, I thought it was just brilliant and experimental and brave. And I'm so glad that it's here. And would I change it and tweak it and want to improve things on it? Yes, yes, yes. But at the same time, this is an awesome first step. And I'm super looking forward to what these guys do. Um, in the future, um, Jeff. Jeff, what did you think about Papo and Yo? Um, I mean, we we already talked about this off of the show, but you and I are, are very much in agreement on this. There's very little I would um, write differ. I mean, I, I didn't have an I did not have an alcoholic father, so I didn't have um, that that sort of personal connection. But um, I knew a lot about the game going in. I'd been covering this game from the beginning. You know, I covered it at E3. Um, over a year ago, I met a GDC, and I talked to Evander Caballero, the um, the guy whose story it is, the creative director that um, whose childhood it's you know loosely based off of. So like I, I really knew a lot going in, and yeah, I mean I if anything I, I'd say that like my my expectations were probably set a little too high just as a function of like you know really discussing you know what the creator wanted to do. Like I was kind of hoping. I think the only thing that really disappointed me that much was that um, I was I wanted the the creature, you know, the monster, to be some of the the more emotional moments with him prior to the ending didn't resonate quite as much as I wanted. Like, you know, hearing some of the hype before it came out, suppose there were going to be scenes where you were like really afraid of the monster, or you really find him, you know, adorable and lovable. And it didn't feel like either of those extremes were quite as um, well-realized as I'd hoped, particularly um, the more likable elements. He seemed too much like an antagonist during uh, during parts of the game. But beyond that, that's a very minor complaint. Like, I just, you know... Well, that's, that's an interesting point you raised, dude, because, you know, kind of relating this back to my own personal life experience, I mean, looking back on my relationship with my dad, like... I didn't really have any of those, like, we're really good buddies until he drinks moments. Like, he was basically an asshole all the time. And so when I played through the game and the monster itself wasn't very endearing, like, he didn't go back and forth between super lovable and super hateable. He was just kind of, like, either indifferent or hateable. It, it like, kind of made sense to me. Like, I was like, yeah, I could see that happening because my dad, he was a jerk. Like, we, we barely had any good memories and we didn't really have a good relationship. We didn't get along. And so it kind of made sense. But, I mean, from, like, a directorial standpoint, or from a, this, the perspective of someone who didn't have like that particular life experience, I could I totally see what you're saying. Like it would have it would have been more interesting if you actually had a reason to kind of like interact with the monster more, or if you actually felt good about the monster at some points. I mean, he basically ignores you for most of the game, which <laughs> again to me made perfect sense. But I I definitely get what you're saying. Okay, I mean, I guess I was just going like based on what I'd heard the creator say, how he said you know he wanted there to be parts where you you found the creature really lovable, but it's funny if you track the the creation of that game, the monster design changed a lot throughout. Like initially, or at least there was like one big change. So when they first showed off the creature at E3 um, in 2011. It, its face was different. It looked less like a beetle with that weird pointy nose and slanty eyes, and it looked more like a rhino, and it looked a lot cuddlier, more adorable. 
And in that first demo, you would like, you know, kick a soccer ball and he would fetch it, which is something that is in the game. Um, so it, it had far more of a, you know, Last Guardian type of thing where it was like a boy and his best friend. And they kind of, you know, they talked about the, the fact that he would become this raging antagonist when you eat frogs. But, um, you know, you're shown kind of more of this more pleasant light. And so I guess maybe I was just expecting to see that. So I guess maybe that was like my only problem was I, I just wanted more types of interactions with him. Do, um, do, because you, do you think they intentionally dialed back the grayness of it to make it more of a game per se? I don't think I don't think that that was it. They may have dialed back some of the the types of interactions because like in that first demo we got to like kick soccer balls and melons and you know there's only like three or so objects that the monster interacts with the entire game. And I kind of thought there'd be a lot more to it, you know, like a, a boy in his blob or something. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but aside from that, like, I don't think that they tried to make him, like, less likable because it's a game. I think it, I think it was probably just a creative decision. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, I don't know. What, what do you think about that, Brad? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I, to be honest, I think that the developer probably bit off a little more than they could chew when they first made the announcement. And I think that they probably scaled back just to get the game out the door. I mean, that was kind of my thinking because that's, that's what it sounds like as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the game is solid enough, but I, I heard from people who played a really early review build and you can tell those reviews because all they're doing is bitching about the, the technical problems like falling through the world and glitching and, having issues when i played through i had no problems at all and i played a later version which had been patched so i kind of suspect that with this smaller team this is their first game i think they probably had this great huge idea and then when it kind of came down to nailing all these things i think they're like well hmm, we got to ship this game in a month and we're not done yet so hmm, maybe we should scale you know cut these things out i i don't know i i, I don't know for sure but that was kind of my read on it so yeah, i played a review build um prior to, to release i got I had to restart at one point, but that was it. It wasn't noticed. not too bad for you. Yeah. Not, okay. not at all. Generally, would you both would you both say you recommend this game? Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's I mean, long and and yeah, I was just gonna say like it. You know, we were talking earlier about length and like even at three hours, I felt like the game it wasn't too short at all. If anything, it might have been just a fraction too long. You might have been able to you know trim you know a puzzle or something in the middle, made it like 15, 20 minutes shorter. But it felt like and I'm becoming a much bigger fan of these games that can have like really complete experiences that don't take several hours or evenings to go through. What do you think, agreed, Brad? Agreed. Yeah, I <laughs> thought it was. I thought it was maybe a half an hour too long. Um, I, this is this is the kind of game. It's like it's like Journey or it's like Flower or it's like any of those are art house games where they have a central concept. They make a game that gives you the central concept and then they're done. And like that's really that's all you need. Like you don't need eight hours of this game. And I mean, I would definitely recommend it for people who are looking for a very, ex- very experimental, very non-traditional experience. And if you want to, like, you know, just see what people are trying, go for it. But if you're, if you're like, I wanna, I wanna kick some ass. I want super hard puzzles. I want to get like, you know, I want to play some multiplayer with my bros. Like, okay, totally not the game for you. Just don't even think about it. And I think you might be understanding the puzzles just a little bit. They're not great or anything, but we didn't really talk about how it plays. And, like, you know, if I had to compare it to a game, it's kind of similar to Ego. It's kind of that same level of difficulty and level of logic. It's not going to hold, 
you're not going to be held up too long on a puzzle, but there is like a little bit of thinking and a little bit of action. It's, you know, yeah, it's for sure. I would never recommend it based on the puzzles, though. Like I would always say, right. if you're going to play this, play it for the emotional message. Right. Don't play it. But for if the game, you're just right. curious to know like how it actually feels. Yeah. It's, yeah. No, I agree. I think you're right. I think you're right on. So that is Poppo and Yo available now. What's the price point? Do either of you know offhand? Uh, Fifteen. Oh, that's not bad at all. Um, I say it's worth it. Yeah, it sounds like it. We are going to be right back with thumbs up. And hey. Oh, yes, sir. Sorry, yeah. No, 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 no worries there. I just wanted to throw in a, a, a overall comment before we move on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting how like we didn't set out to like create the experimental game episode. Right. And, and it seems like every game we've talked about is fairly experimental, and even the ones that aren't are very conceptually interesting. Even when you're talking about like Sleeping Dogs, which you know the Hong Kong movie stuff, and and um, Spec Ops, you know, with the whole Heart of Darkness thing. And I gotta say, you know, that's like a this is like a huge plus for video game, the video game industry in general, you know, because you know we're always talking about how you know, or a lot of people are always talking about how the, you know, the industry's completely creatively wrote and without any original ideas. And here we are, this entire episode, we've talked about nothing but one after the other interesting experimental games, which, again, was completely not intentional. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good observation, man. I think you're exactly right, dude. I totally think you're right. Yeah, it's funny how that works out. Um, we will be right back with thumbs up and thumbs down. Don't go away. We are back. It's been three weeks. I'm expecting many, many thumbs. Um, Richard, let's start with you. Oh, boy, do I have a thumb. Uh, uh, thumbs down to people that paint swastikas on your car and then piss in your gas tank. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, a couple weeks ago, I walked outside one morning and there was uh, you know, a swastika painted on my window and my gas cap was taken off. And, you know, I had to get the car towed because I was worried that, you know, someone put something in the gas tank. And it turns out that uh, the mechanic told me that there was a, quote, watery substance in the gas tank, which, I mean, let's be honest, was probably urine. Because he said it wasn't quite water, but it was definitely, like, water-like. So that was 350 bucks to get that cleaned out. Whoa. That's, to- that's totally fucked up, man. Yeah. Are, so, you know, this is the kind of shit that people move over. I mean, are you okay, man? Really? Oh yeah, I'm fine. It's just, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure it was like, I I uh, well. Do you no, think I it was just like frat guys getting drunk or some bullshit well, like that, or is it like some neo-Nazi kind of bullshit? I'm pretty sure it was just frat guys that because if it was like neo-Nazi bullshit, then I figured they would have done something to my door or like my house. But do you think, uh, they, do you think they know who you were, or they were just? I don't know, and honestly, that was kind of scary, because, like, when I first saw it, it's like, I didn't know, it's like, you know, is this, like, a sign of something to come? Like, did they put, like, you know, something explosive in the tank? It's like, I really was not sure. Yeah. And 
the area where I live in, it's like there's like a major university in the area that I live in. So it's like I live around like a lot of like undergrads and college kids. And I'm almost certain it was like some drunk idiot that thought he was being a badass by putting easily removable white paint on my window and then, you know, peeing in the gas tank. But uh, no, it's I I, I want to say that I think I just won the thumbs down award, like yeah. period. Yeah. Can we say can we say that? I don't even it want to give my thumbs sense. up now after that one. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was that was fucked up. I actually didn't have my car for a week because it took him a while to get. Uh, first, it took him a while to get the car into the mechanics. I had to make an appointment. Then I had to get a ride back up there to pick it up. So it's like I didn't have my car for about five days, which which sucked. But uh, yeah, so that's that's my thought. That's terrible. Jeez, that's awful, man. Yeah, and it was like I was talking about it on on Twitter and and stuff. I'm surprised you guys didn't hear it. Yeah, I heard about it. I was, you know, to tell you the truth, I was kind of confused because it's like, you know, I mean, this may come out as kind of like blunt or rude, but it's like when I think of like people to be racially targeted, I don't really think of Richard Nyack. You know what I mean? Like, you're not somebody that I'd go, yeah, you look like you're somebody that will be racially profiled and like neo Nazis would go after you. It's like you you got a mustache. I mean, what's it's oddly enough, (laughs) oddly enough. mistaken for jewish a lot even though Seriously? i'm not. yeah it's like my it's like my three my top three are italian mexican and jewish and none of those three are right but that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> richard nyack racial chameleon <laughs> did you have a uh, any other thumbs richard or was that was a pretty strong thumb uh i do actually have one other uh okay. thumb uh, thumbs up to the end I know everyone's going to roll their eyes collectively after I say this, but thumbs up to the man versus machine mode in Team Fortress 2. (laughs) I'm not going to go into it depth, but it's a lot of fun. And if you're not really a fan of Team Fortress, but I mean, you do like, uh, you know, horde mode gameplay and like, you know, Gears of War or, you know, something else similar, I do recommend giving it a shot because it's not like uh, the player versus player aspect. I think we're all going to allow you that Team Fortress thumbs up because of the horrible experience you had with the other thing, with your thumbs down. So we're good with it. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, Chi? Sure. Uh, First, uh, big thumbs down for uh, USADA for going after Lance Armstrong and what will inevitably probably lead to them stripping away the six uh, Tour de France titles that he won. Did they already do that? I, I don't know if they did or they didn't. I mean, the, the last thing I read yesterday, I mean, they, he just the last the, the last thing I read yesterday was that he just wasn't going to fight the charges, which uh, then the the guy, the head of USADA basically was saying that's sort of just an admission of guilt, if that's the case. And I don't know what the fallout thereafter is going to be, but they're strongly hinting that it more or less means that they're going to strip the titles away. And not that, you know... I'm all for fair play and all that as reasonably as possible, considering in this day and age where, you know, every athlete's on something and you're naive if you think that, you know, there's a lot, there's such thing as even a clean athlete these days. But um, just the whole thing just seems so pointless at this point. You know what I mean? Like they've, they've gotten Floyd, anyone who follows Tour de France, I'm kind of a big fan. You know, they, they've gotten Floyd Landis, they've got it, you know, Alberto Contador, they've gotten, you know, they've gotten like almost all the top guys. I mean, they, they might as well have just nullified the sport from like Lance Armstrong on, you know, it just, it just mm-hmm. doesn't seem like there's any good, any good's going to really come of this. I think ESPN wrote, there was one commentary that I just wholeheartedly agree with that all it's going to do is just, you know, diminish all the good work that he's done as far as not that again, this admonishes him for doing something wrong, but they didn't get him then. 
it's like only you know, close to 10 years already since the, the, the charge happened. What good is it really going to do now? All you're doing is just destroying the sport. You know, I don't know. It's just a terrible situation. And, you know, and I'm glad I didn't name my kid Lance, though. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I very consciously knew that because I, I felt like eventually they were going to get him for something, you know. And, and you know, that sport's the roughest sport in the planet. If anyone should, you know, again, I, I hate to sound like an, apologi- an apologist for, for steroid users, but if there's any sport that, like, should they should allow drugs in. It's like the Tour de France. I mean, seriously, it's like that one sport. It's like, it's in, that sport's inhuman. If you know anything about that sport, it's inhuman. What they expect the human body to, it's like a torture machine. You know what I mean? Like, and then to, to expect to, you know, have to clean athletes in that, it's just really pretty, it's really pretty uh, ridiculous. So that's my thumbs down. Uh, thumbs up to uh, uh, Geico emergency roadside assistance. Uh, my car battery didn't start today when we were at Toys R Us in the middle of a mall. Oh, wow. Because, um, my my wife my kids 3ds had run out of the battery and it was just charging too long and they were playing with it while they were waiting for me draining the battery car didn't start and uh, thank goodness for <laughs> emergency roadside assistance if you guys don't have it I highly recommend it unless you happen to know you know uh, a tow truck you know wherever wherever you are that's got on speed dial that will pick you up anywhere you know so and uh, I, all I needed ended up needing was just a jump start anyway didn't cost me anything it was all covered by the uh, by Geico Insurance, so big thumbs up there. Well, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Little, yeah. I was a little scared there, you know, because just a thousand things running through your head, like what's wrong with my car right yeah. now? You know, hopefully it didn't. You know, it's not like the end. And I've got a '99 CRV, so it's been. It's got a, although it, it doesn't have a lot of miles on it, but it's pretty old. And you always, I always worry on some level that it's, you know, it may be a little too old. Yeah, you know, yeah. despite the reassurances I get from it, and you know, we take it for regular maintenance and everything. But no, it turns out everything was good. Just shouldn't have charged too much stuff on on the car battery there while so, so gee was it mm-hmm. was it the caveman or the lizard that showed up? <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a big old wilford brimley looking dude i'm not kidding you it looks like oh, it so, looks so like the caveman okay. yeah. <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> yeah. the caveman with, with white hair yeah i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my, my second thumbs, second and final thumbs up goes to the surprisingly the 3D XL man, I, 3DS XL. I was pretty down on it on the last episode. I didn't. I thought I'd pretty much be able to stay away from this thing. I, you know, I, I never even cared to even give a the DSi XL even a second look because I just hated how blown up those screens look. But I got to tell you, I, I, I wanted, every single review I read on this thing just had it saying pretty much like this was like it was pretty much a step up in every single way to the original 3ds that was a big improvement and you know this is the way the 3ds should have been and it it was just hard to ignore after a while and then my final test was just going to be whether or not these screens felt like sharp because if it felt like it was just blown up and the graphics were going to be like blurry and everything that was i was not having that you know that was going to be a no no you know that was gonna be a deal breaker for me i went to nintendo world i think on wednesday or thursday and i was pretty much blown away by the screens i mean it, it's it's not as sharp as it was you know if you the original 3ds i mean i think that's just physically impossible you know given the actual pixels but i gotta say it's pretty damn sharp i mean it it, it, it it's pretty it feels like a good piece of tech you know it's it's comfortable it's, uh, you know, everything's better designed in, in essence. And even though it's missing that damn analog stick and that's still a, a bit of a pisser, every, it's, it, I was able to ignore that because everything else was just a, st- a step in the right direction. And then to cap it off, GameStop, another, you know, give a nine, another minor thumbs up to GameStop. Honestly, 
I know it's popular to hate on GameStop, but for me, I always just feel like I'm getting good deals and taking advantage of the two for three, you know, use sales. And so I never have any issues with GameStop. But again, GameStop came through with a trading your old 3DS uh, for a hundred dollar credit. And which for my son, I, we just got him a, a 3DS in, in June. And, you know, we only paid $140 because it was a part of a Target sale. To get a full $100 back credit back on that to pick up a new, uh, the 3DS XL was just like perfect, man. I was just couldn't ask for anything more from GameStop there. So that was great for that. So overall, you know, just again, great, great experience with 3D XL. And anyone who's on the fence about it, I, 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 if you got a deal or any kind of gift card money lying around, I think definitely the way to go. Nice. Um, I'm going to thumbs up Toby Keith. And let me preface this. By saying that while I listen to country music occasionally, I'm not really someone who goes to like country concerts or buys country albums. But I got press credentials for like this tribute concert that Toby Keith was performing at. And he closed the show and did four songs and just kind of talked about his career and life. And I found it really inspiring. It was like it was at a small venue. There were like a thousand seats and about half of the people there were like people that work in that industry. And like while he performed amazingly and sounded great. He wasn't really in like celebrity mode when he was talking. And I just found it to be really an incredible experience in concert, like regardless of like what you think about his political views, he puts on a good show. So thumbs up to Toby Keith for me. Toby Toby Keith is the one that's been on the Colbert Report a couple of times, isn't probably, he? Probably. Probably. Okay. He's he's pretty politically outspoken. He's I think he's pretty conservative. But yeah. yeah, it was a really good show and I was really impressed by it. So that's my thumbs up. Brad? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so I've only got thumbs up this week. Um, I can't remember. Remind me, you guys. Have I ever given a thumbs up to Alphas on Sci-Fi? Did I do that one already? I don't remember that one. Not Alphas. Uh, no, not just, Alphas. About every, just about everything else. <laughs> every other, every other uh, BBC show. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me give a thumbs up to Alphas. Uh, if you haven't watched this show, and apparently, you know, I'm surprised at the number of people who are in our kind of circles who haven't watched or haven't heard of this show i mean maybe that's the fault of sci-fi for not getting it out there but um anyway so what alphas is it's on the sci-fi network it's a show where um there's a, a government agency which is kind of responsible for picking up people who develop like these mutant powers and they call them alphas um but the thing that's interesting about this show is a it doesn't suck which is you know like heroes did after the first season yeah, or anything. that's a plus it kind of takes yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, it, it's it's similar to Heroes, except for it's not stupid and it's not bad. Um, but the, the kind of twist to it is they have like this biological explanation for everything, and of course some of the powers are pure fantasy. But it's kind of cool to hear them kind of explain like things that the brain does, but like magnified ten times, and then all of a sudden it becomes a superpower. Huh. Uh, for example, like one of the one of the main characters, he's like uh, this hyperkinetic guy, where his only ability is not that he's super strong or anything, but he can predict like the physics of things like he can like intuitively understand the way that things will bounce or react and so he's able to make like all these incredible like shots with a gun or he can you know jump and kick this thing and he knows that it'll slide like x amount of distance and so he can like trip somebody down the hall by kicking this can and i mean it's, it's stuff that's like you know totally you couldn't do it but like it's it's like kind of possible you know yeah. like theoretically possible you know um some of the other stuff is is more fantasy than that but they do kind of try to keep like a toehold in reality, which I think is kind of cool. Um, the show started off really rough. Like I think the first maybe three or four episodes were just really kind of cheesy and goofy. And I was like, oh, I don't know about this. But it really picked up steam at about halfway through the first season. And then it got really, really good. And they're in about maybe a third of the way through season two now. 
and it's really strong. Like it's very so strong. It's, the cast. It's the exact like, opposite of Heroes. Then <laughs> it is. It is the exact opposite of Heroes, except for it's the same right. thing. But it gets but better it's instead it's of worse. <laughs> yeah, like it's smart. Um, the writing is really good. For example, like every time the wife and I are sitting there watching it, and like you know we'll sit there and do like the MST 3K thing or something, mm-hmm. and we'll be like, oh well, how did that happen? You know, how did that? How did that person know that happened? Like immediately, inevitably, the writers will it will say it like in the next line. They'll be like, "Oh, well, we did this because of this." And I'm like, "Oh, well, clearly they thought of that." <laughs> or like every time I call bullshit on something, they kind of give like this explanation to kind of explain it. And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, they've got their P's and Q's covered, and they don't they don't get too silly with it. Like with heroes, they started like switching powers right. and taking away powers, and they got like heavily invested in the time travel, and they just like completely fucked their show up. Is it? But here. It, yeah, it's not at is, all. Not is at it all. like the Prince of Persia movie where they constantly are explaining to the audience things like the audience is stupid, or is it not like that at all? It's not like that. I don't feel like it's it's dumbed down at all. I think if anything, it's to keep people from from calling bullshit on too much stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's it's not like we think you're too dumb to get this, but it's like we not we're not just pulling this out of our ass. Like right. we are explaining like they're hey, saying you're so smart that they're anticipating things that you're right. gonna think of. Exactly. Like they, it, it's it's almost as if they're reading my mind when I'm trying to call bullshit on a show, and by them kind of, you know, uh, you know, preempting my my bullshit calling, like they have established themselves as like smart writers to me. So, I like that. And and some of the things that I've expected didn't happen. Like the really cheesy things didn't happen. So that was really good. Uh, the characters are really funny. They've got this autistic guy who is just like complete crack up. I mean, he's so funny. And uh, some of the stuff that happens is really good. Um, the best example is I think. I started out hating this one character on the show who was this meathead and he was just like a dick to everybody and I didn't like him at all and I kind of wanted him off the show. But as the season went on, they really developed his character and it explained why he was the dick that he was mm-hmm. and it kind of tied back things back to his personality and into his power. It was just, it was fascinating and I, by the end, I really like him now and I'm like, I'm glad they kept him on and I really, I thought that was great. I mean, to take a character you hate and turn him into somebody that you love is a great piece of writing. So thumbs up. Big time to Alphas. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. It's really good. It's on Netflix for free. Um, just know that the first couple episodes of season one are kind of hokey, but hang with it, and it gets a lot better. Heroes was, like, my favorite show for so long. Like, I, I stuck with it up until season four, and then I bailed in season four, I think. But, yeah, that sounds really interesting to me. I'm going to check it out for sure. If you, yeah, if, if you even remotely liked Heroes, mm-hmm. this is, like, better than Heroes ever was in all respects. So check it Definitely. out for sure. Um, so that's a thumb. Another thumb, kind of like a pre-thumb. Uh, PAX is coming <laughs> up next thumb. week. Okay. This is a pre-thumb, so just think about this one later. Um, so big thumbs up to PAX uh, coming up next week. I'm super hyped, super excited. Uh, can't wait. But one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is kind of a surprise, and Jeff, I think that you'll be able to comment on this as well, um, is a game called State of Decay, which is being put out by Undead Labs, which I had no idea is local. They're actually not too far from my house. But their game, uh, I think it's gone through a number of different names, but it's currently called State of Decay. And what it is, it's an MMO zombie survival game, which kind of sounds similar to uh, DayZ, which is kind of going along on the interwebs right now. But it's an MMO. Yeah, it's an MMO, and it's on 360. It's, it's going to be on PC eventually, but for right now it's on 360. And I think that's the version that we're going to see uh, this coming week. But, man, I went to their, their website, and it's undeadlabs.com. Scroll down, and they have a trailer running of State of Decay. And, dude, that trailer is, like, the fucking awesomest thing I've seen in I don't even know how long. Like, just watching that trailer as a zombie fan, it, like, it showed me, like, every single thing I want to see in a zombie game. I mean, just, like, the combat, the freedom, the fortification of the house, the searching for 
uh, supplies, like the driving in the cars, like running through a field of zombies. I mean, dude, like go watch that trailer. And if, if you like zombies, like if you don't think that trailer is awesome, I don't even know what to say because that trailer to me looked fucking completely kick ass. I really, really, really hope that this game lives up to the hype. I'm not an MMO player at all. But if this game's on 360 and it gives that kind of zombie action, like, I will be an MMO player for two weeks. <laughs> and I will put that game through its paces. And I'll quit it afterwards, but I will enjoy that two weeks. So hopefully, hopefully State of Decay will live up to uh, live up to its billing. Jeff, did you have any opinion on that real quick? Um, I haven't seen that much. I saw the trailer and it, it did look cool. Are, are you positive about this MMO thing? Because I, before the game was called Class 3, and I believe they said that the... They were planning it to be a series, and Class 4 would be an MMO. I think that this one was still going to be single-player co-op or, like, a more limited multiplayer. Uh, like, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's a good question to ask, and we'll find out for sure. My impression, I, and I, I just, could be I, wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I read that this one is not going to be an MMO, that the following one will. It sounds but, like it's going to be amazing. The only thing that would ruin it for me is if it is an MMO, because I hate MMOs. But if it's not, <laughs> that'll be awesome. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it, definitely multiplayer. I mean, maybe not MMO, but maybe... Yeah, uh, I, mean, I think it'll be some kind of, like, multiplayer Dead Rising-ish okay, yeah. thing. Okay. But it does look remarkably accomplished in that trailer. I mean, it looks, you know, like Dead Rising quality production in, you know, what's going to be an XBLA game. So, yeah, that trailer yeah, I haven't... Has a, oh, man, crazy, you know, crazy shit. I haven't trailer. followed it that much yet, but I'm, I'm excited to see it um, next week. Anyway, that was my second thumb. Uh, so free, free thumb to State of Decay and a general thumbs to PAX. I'm sure I'll have much more to say on that next time. But uh, there we go. I'm I good. know Mike is sitting, listening, like wanting to make a pre-thumb joke, but I don't know what it would be, so I'm just going to let him do that next time. Okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Jeffrey, thumbs? Yeah, so actually speaking of Mike, Mike is the master of thumbs because last time, I believe it was the last episode, he... Um, he gave a thumbs up to Sinan Kuba, who he, he had a strong feeling was on the cusp of a major breakthrough. And now he has one. He's become the UK editor for Joystick. Nice. So, yeah, major props to Sinan. Um, yeah, that's funny because the full story is Joystick was actually looking for a UK editor, I believe it was last spring, a long time ago. And he applied, and they never got back. The funny thing is, they never hired anyone else in that role. They just kept delaying it, so he kind of gave up hope after a while. You know, every few months followed back, and, you know, close to a year and a half or a year and a quarter later, they were finally filling that role and and um, went to him. I'm, I'm really happy for him. So Yeah, that's great. Yeah, he's a great guy. He deserves it, man. Nobody deserves that job more than he does. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I Yeah, I actually told the editor-in-chief that, and he, he's looking forward to working with him, too, so... Really, really happy for him. And actually, speaking of which, um, I'm going to meet him in a couple weeks. So uh, a thumbs up to Eurogamer. It's been a long time since... I know that's totally biased on my because I work for them, but it's been a while since I've been on here, so thumbs up for them hiring me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, they, they all know that I've been a huge fan. It's the site that inspired me to want to write about games in the first place several years back. So... I didn't even think about writing about video games like at all until I was 25, and um, you know, I was really inspired by what they were doing. And they're you know sending me to the UK in a couple weeks. Oh wow! So yeah, I'm finally gonna get to meet Sinan in real life, and I think there's probably a lot of crossover audience between here and Big Red Potion, the podcast that he did that I was a frequent guest on. 
which sadly has come to a close, but, um, you know, I think we might, we might do one more there, but I don't want to hold us to it. So I'm really looking forward to finally meeting the, the UK half of, of them. Um, we'll have to have you guys on our show more than yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, and uh, final thumbs up. It's kind of an old one, but I want to give a thumbs up to Friday Night Lights, a show I've recommended before on, on Big Red Potion. But I pr- pretty much just want to recommend it here to to make sure, excuse me, to see if other people would second it so I can really get Brad to give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> he said he would, but he's like, I don't know, man. It's about football. I'm like, yeah, that's the thing. It's not really about football. I mean, it kind of is, but it isn't. Like, cause I hate football, too. Like, there are very few things that would turn me off on the show as much as that, but so many people I knew recommended it to me who were not sports fans, like, at all, and they're just like, no, it, it sounds terrible, but just, you know, give it a few episodes, and and I ended up getting hooked, and I watched all five seasons, and, you know, it's been a few months, but I, like, I feel like I kind of liked the show extra because it was such a surprise to me, because I had, like, such a bias against it going in, so I'm really curious to see what's, what Brad would think, given his, you know, his similar bias. Is it on Netflix, like streaming or anything? Oh, yeah, yeah, excuse me. That's the thing. It's, it's all streaming on Netflix, all five seasons, which sounds long, but only the first season is that long. The other ones are only about 13 or so episodes, so which is still pretty long, but... You have no excuse, I, I, Brad. I don't know, man. I don't know. I just I just, I just hear about it, and I'm like a, like a Texas town or something in football, and I'm like, dude. <laughs> yeah. just, I know. Fuck, that's a- no, man. I'm already getting bored just talking about it, man. <laughs> That's what's I, so crazy about it. <laughs> I can't personally recommend Friday Night Lights because I've never seen more than like one or two episodes here and there. But I will say that a lot of the stars of that show go on to do Parenthood. I don't know if it's like similar producers or something or whatever, but and they're both on NBC. But I, I love Parenthood. I'm, that's a, a favorite show of mine right now these days. Oh, we'll I, see. I, we'll see. I don't know. No promises. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy Parenthood more, Brad. You think you can relate to that one more? <laughs> probably. Probably. Well, oh, yeah. oh, go ahead, Jeffrey. I was just saying I haven't heard of Parenthood, so I'll, I'll look that up because I'm. Yeah, I'd love to see more of those those actors and stuff. I and I definitely I would like to see you guys in a future episode do a do a gamer exchange where uh, Jeffrey plays Way of the Samurai Four and she plays was it. Uh, Flights of lo- what was it? Thirty flights of loving. Yeah, thirty flights of loving. I think that would be highly entertaining. So you guys should definitely work that out. Yeah, I'll see. I'll see. I have. I. I. I wikied. Well, you wiki- have less of an excuse. The game's fifteen minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not forty dollars either. This is true. Although it's on a PC and uh, PC and gaming yeah, and these days you. are rough, but yeah. Didn't you just build a really nice gaming PC though? I didn't build it. I bought it, but yeah. <laughs> It still, still hasn't helped. I mean, it's well, still... I mean, it's, a, it's a Quake 2 engine game, so... Yeah. Um, Jeffrey, where can our listeners... I know they can go to Eurogamer. Where, where else can they check you out? Do you have anything you want to plug? Oh, um, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm full-time for, for Eurogamer now, so that's where you'll find all of my stuff. So, Eurogamer.net. What are you on Twitter? Oh, yes. Yeah, excuse me. I'm, I'm Mr. Durant Pierre on Twitter. It's all Spell one Spell it out, dude, because it's... Um, okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, M-R-D-U-R-A-N-D-P-I-E-R-R-E. All right. Um, 
Well, you can listen to us on <laughs> I suck at this part. You can download us on iTunes. You can comment on us directly on GameCritics.com. You can like us on Facebook at GameCritics. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at GameCritics. Um, yeah, that's what you can do. So thank you guys for listening. <laughs> I was doing so well. For Chi Kong Lu. It's late, dude. It's late. For, for Chi Kong Lu, Richard Nyack, Brad Galloway, the bile duct removed Mike Bracken, and Jeffrey Maloff. Thank you guys for listening. I've been Dylan Collins. You, you know what? Fuck it. I need to hear my jingle. I, I feel bad about butchering the ending. I'm Dylan Collins. Dylan. 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 Dylan Collins. That was a new one. I like that. Thank you. Good night and game on. <laughs>